Anime is a vast and varied medium, and if you're not already familiar, it can be daunting to find something you might be interested in watching. This is a podcast where three average anime enjoyers introduce their uninitiated co-host to their favorite anime touchstones, so he can join them deep in the weeds. We watched Revolutionary Girl Utena, an anime television series created by the production group B Papas, who originally aired in Japan, which originally aired in Japan from April to December of 1997. The B Papas group was founded by director Kunihiko Ikuhara after his frustration at the lack of creative control inherent in directing an adapted series from an existing work led to his desire to create an original series after working on Sailor Moon. While he initially conceived of Utena as a mainstream shoujo series aimed at capitalizing on the commercial success of Sailor Moon, the direction of the series shifted dramatically during production towards an avant-garde and surrealist tone. The series has been described as a deconstruction and subversion of fairy tales and the magical girl genre of shoujo manga, making heavy use of allegory and symbolism to comment on themes of gender, sexuality, and coming of age. Utena's stylization integrates surrealist and expressionist elements to communicate mood and convey allegorical meaning. Its visual and narrative style is characterized by a sense of theatrical presentation and staging, creating an operatic feel to the tale. Central Park Media released the first 13 episodes of the series on VHS beginning in 1998, but due to licensing issues, the company did not release the series in full until its DVD release beginning in 2002. Their licenses were liquidated after the company declared bankruptcy in 2009, and the North American license to Utena was acquired by Right Stuff under its Nozomi Entertainment label in 2010. Nozomi currently has revolutionary girl Utena, as well as several of their titles, available for free on their YouTube channel. The story of the show follows Utena Tenjo, a ten- Hmm, I shouldn't have put those words next to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. The story of the show follows Utena Tenjo, a teenage girl drawn into a sword dueling tournament to win the heart of a mysterious girl known as the Rose Bride, who possesses the power to revolutionize the world. Utena emerges victorious in her first duel and decides to remain in the tournament in order to protect the Rose Bride from those who seek her power for themselves. Revolutionary Girl Utena is divided into three story arcs. The four episodes we watched this week encompass the first of these, the Student Council Saga. So, Chuck, as the one of us who's actually seen this show before, uh, what made you choose it? So, <sighs> Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant, I think, first off, does not get the recognition or acknowledgement it deserves. I feel like it is still one of the older uh, classic anime that while it does get mentioned sometimes in the same breath as shows like Ava, for example, it doesn't get that often recognition. And often you'll hear people in the anime community just tout the symbolism and the deeper meaning of Ava. Having seen the two, I would say comparatively Utena does it better, hands down. I feel 
it has a lot more to say. And that is not to say I think Ava necessarily is lesser than the hype gives it. I just feel like there might be a little bit of an exaggeration because Ava got a lot more screen time in the U.S. than Utena did initially. Um, and I also think it has some of the, considering this was a 90s manga and anime release, this has possibly the best LGBTQIA plus uh, depiction that one could expect from an anime. And arguably, to some extent, still better than some more recent things that have been released. Uh, I still think it's a, it's a really good story, and I think overall it is a classic in the fullest definition of the term. I feel it is timeless. I feel it is, especially in the modern world, kind of super relevant. And I think it handles its subject matter, its subject matter, not necessarily perfect, but it does it incredibly well. That's not to say it is not without problems and some problematic elements, but overall, I feel the good outweigh the bad, and I think this one is worth the time and effort. And the rest of us hadn't seen... Uh, well, Nick, you had seen a little bit of it before. Yeah, this is a series that, like, I've seen some of it, and now I've seen a little bit more of it, and honestly, like, I still honestly don't know where I stand on it. Like, obviously, it's got a lot to say, and it's doing one of those... Like, it is... It is, it is clearly out here to play with symbols and, you know... Uh, do you know work in layers and and to uh, what, what's the word not not bodacious that's what a babe is which this show would probably have <laughs> issues with me over saying um this goal seems very ambitious in what it wants to do and i think it does a lot of it well so i want to give it respect for that but there's also a lot of I don't necessarily know that doesn't necessarily make it enjoyable for me to watch from what I've seen so far. You know, uh, it's like, I oh, like sure. th this is definitely like that. There is a lot here to respect. And I think it is uh, like a good show to spark discussion, but would I want to just like sit down and watch this for fun? I don't know. I haven't done it so far, even though I've <laughs> been like presented it a few times. That's kind of how I feel about a lot of like, classic movies and stuff it's like uh like sure great it did good i don't enjoy watching it i did like the show though and i intend to watch more of it okay i was gonna say the way that came across like oh well that's two <laughs> no no uh, yeah the that probably came across weird, but I, it just meant more like i that attitude i definitely feel a lot about like movies and like higher oh, yeah. stuff it's just like eh, it's not fun though let me tell you it took me a long time to watch citizen kane so i get it mm. all right so we get to episodes then that's good what was that bob oh i was just excited to discuss the show yay excellent all right uh then let's take it into episode one the, the Rose Bride. 
There you go. I, I, okay, is it just me, or does it feel like I don't remember how to do this podcast? <laughs> there are days. Yeah, I think I'm having one of those days. All right, sorry. Let's, uh, uh, Bob, would you like to walk us through? Sure. Uh, so the Rose Bride is essentially a show about the Rose Bride. Mm-hmm. We open up with uh, the scene of the Lieutenant being saved by what we assume is a mysterious prince. Uh, saves her, and she's so moved by this, she realizes that she wants to become a prince because he has all these ideals that she stands by. Uh I don't know that I feel like there's too much of an explanation of why he had to save her, other than he had to save her. Her mom and dad had died, I believe. He was kind of like saving her, quote-unquote, from her sadness, or, you know. Uh, yes. Uh, gives her a special ring, and that's just the opening scene. And so we go to many years later. They don't really explain, however... Uh, research we find that it's six years later yeah and she she's... was eight when her parents died and she's 14 here the rest of the show i will note i find the way she stood there kind of unusual i don't know is that a how princes stand is that like oh, you mean that, that like... standing pose like with arms on fist on hips kind of it's a very like a sort of self-confident kind of pose <clears throat> i don't know it's just kind of to show reflect uh reflect her resolve and commitment to the bit. I guess. It's not meant to be taken literal. When I think of princes, I think that they're, you know uh hiding out in Canada. <laughs> that, uh, it's my political for the week. <laughs> Woof. So we see school open. We don't actually see Utena at this point. In fact, uh, this flashback didn't really depict her at all outside of as cut-out people. Just kind of a theme that this show does. Yeah, it was very, like, fairy tale, paper cut-out kind of yep. storybook. And there's different parts in the show that do kind of plays. So, it, this show's kind of up on that, but we'll discuss it later. Uh, we meet a girl. Her name is Wakaba. Yep. Do they yep. do they say her name in these episodes we watched? And I yes, just missed do. it. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they do her it's very it's clearly it's... as Wakaba. Okay. Uh, because she's standing there, and this ninety nine percent girl school uh, <laughs> starts mocking her. Well, not really mocking her. Uh, that her boyfriend's coming. She says, no, uh, we'll get here. And you note, because they kind of emphasize it, that uh, she is the boyfriend. And we see Tenna, as we are introduced, coming up. And she's wearing, because she gets yelled at by a teacher, a boy's uniform. And she explains to the teacher, hey, you know, there's no rule against me wearing this and walks away from a very angry, I'm assuming, like, ace principal? Counselor. It, it's later, and I think actually in the next episode we review, it's stated that she is a counselor. But also, is she wearing one of the boys' uniforms? 
<laughs> I know. It's, it's very much a it's a suit jacket and and shorts and uh proper shoes. Um, but it is definitely not the same color as everyone else's uniform. Yeah, okay, like, uh, we see a number of male students, and everyone else is is wearing the sort of like yeah, like jacket uniform style. But also, they are like very plain and are like hospital gown cyan colored, whereas yeah. Utena is rocking the black and gold. Symbolism. It kind of comes up in this next section that we're going, well, a little bit later, and I'll bring this back up. Help me remember about the uniforms. Okay. Uh, so she goes, and to show off how stereotyped masculine she is, uh, they show her playing basketball and being super great at it. The point where the guys are like, you know, you need to play more. And she's like, no, she's got better things to do. Uh, yeah, they they put a lot of work into codifying uh, her, skewing masculine in her behavior and presentation. And she just continues on with her day. Well, uh, also, they very deliberately are positioning her as this very masculine. She's wearing the uniform and she's good at sports. But she they're like, she hey, she's a, she wants to be a prince. Right. But they specifically are like, hey, you should play on the team. And she's like, I can't play on the team. I'm a girl. Like, I can't play on the boys uh, team. I'm a girl. Like, she's so it's very much a distinction of she doesn't want to be a boy. Right. Yeah. She's a girl and she's fully, totally fine being a girl. She just they, wants to be to prince. evoke the prince. Yeah. Right. She's the, the ideal she has. Right. Yeah. Prince is and an ideal, not a gender. It's a collection uh, of traits that she wants correct. to embody. She wants also, to be honorable. She wants to save people, mm-hmm. albeit princesses is what she states. But yeah. well, I think it's more I just would, a generalized people. I would also like to cite that she does get swooned over by all the girls. That yeah has that is a Japanese thing. Also, yeah, I know. <laughs> I just um, enjoy it that it happens. Yeah, like, it's very common for um, the female students to kind of swoon over and, like, it's kind of like, it's one of those, like, I idolization of the, like, upper class mm-hmm. uh, women, but also it does kind of manifest sort of as a crush kind of attitude. So it's this weird overlap of like wanting to be them, but also wanting to. I feel smooch them. <laughs> I yeah, I feel like it's emphasized in this because you know you've seen enough anime, you've seen this happen more than once. That the fact that this happens and it's so so much more pronounced, in my opinion, than what occurs in other shows, at least for other female characters, that. They are trying to kind of drive a point home that Utena does stand out above her male and female counterparts. She's got serious uh, 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 main character disease. Yes, she Super has. Protect I, believe energy. What, I believe what the kids now call the Riz. She's a hot dog. That too. Sorry, kids, I'm... are you talking to saying the Riz? I'm thinking Glitz. of of glitzies. Never mind. Yep. <laughs> She has the swagger. The Rizza? Oh, okay. The Rizza, the Jizza, Inspect the Deck, Ghostface Killer, um, Utena, 
clearly. Wait. <laughs> I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this because it is something that occurs throughout. Sure. Um see and, and this is part partly because I don't know the show and this is a problem that I keep having with shows that we watch for this. Um but like there is a disconnect in like how Utena is sort of treating her own gender standing and the way that the show is and i can totally believe that this sort of like uh uh, uh non-standardization between different characters and whatever about these topics is what the show wants to address but like this very initial core thing of like utena is saying i want to be a prince and princes save or princes save princesses so but like it's always that two-step and never just, I want to save princesses. Like, I feel like so much of her trouble... And, and like, <laughs> e- okay, even if the show is going to be about addressing that, it is painful for me to sit in this beginning part of, like, uh-huh. watching her be wrong about it. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can last That's... to the part where they have the interesting conversation about this. Because right now they're just doing it. Like, I, t- I totally get that the show wants to discuss this. Um yeah. Even if they're doing all of this right, just like it is painful for me to watch her do it. And I think that's why this show, I think, is like worth discussion and respect. But I don't necessarily want to watch it. So here's the thing. This is uh, almost 40 episodes. This this embraces the phrase slow burn. Yeah, that's too <laughs> so much. So if you, if you can't handle the slow, slow burn, I will admit, this is probably not for you. I don't think this show is for me. <laughs> And that's fine. And I'll admit, my taste, I love a slow burn. You give me something mm. to think about. You give me time to watch it develop. You you leave breadcrumbs that I might miss. I am here for that. And so that is my cup of tea. And with shows I recommend, you're probably going to see a lot of that. Um, but at the same time, I will say, they do address it. They do follow through on what you're talking about. But it, I will also admit, that's part of what made choosing just four episodes for this very hard is it's just so much of a slow drip you've got to be there for every episode okay maybe it is a tasting maybe it is like you know if we want to talk about like the um not that long ago we just watched flcl and like Mm -hmm. well that show has the opposite problem of it is smashing so much into so little like so if i'm going to be honest about flcl it was really hard for me to watch way back when and appreciate it for anything other than haha, this go fast, make bring go burr. But and even now I'm like, I would appreciate it if it took a little bit more time. And then admittedly, that's a taste thing for me. Mm. I think it's, it arguably goes too fast, but understanding the purpose of that makes sense. In this case, it takes understanding of the purpose it, and it's not meant to go fast and just cram it in there. Sure. Into storytelling. Also, so this, that is also gr- shows out there. this is a great note for the listeners. And kind of one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is that finding media that you enjoy is easier when you are finding it through someone who you know shares similar, has similar interests in media that you do in manners like this, like storytelling and whether it's a slow burn or a quick burn. Um, and by having the variety that we have on this podcast, we hope that it makes it easier for you to find something that you would be interested in watching going, oh, that person talks about the stuff that I like in a show. So what they recommend is probably something I'll be interested in watching as well. 
Agreed. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments below uh, which of the hosts you feel you resonate most with in taste. Not favorite, because <laughs> that would be um, disheartening. <laughs> um, let me just get one more question here, uh, because you did watch like the entire series in yes, I did. trying to decide. How, okay, so how do you feel this show uh, uh, plays in a rewatch? Because that's honestly... I, I think in, in that sense, like FLCL is overstuffed and it is so easy to miss everything. But I think that show, that's part of what I appreciate is like on later watches, you know, you start to get used to what's in there and you see more and more every time because it's so full. And on a show like this, I can only imagine that like, like I, of the episodes we watched today, I've, I've seen the first episode, like three times by this point and i feel there is nothing left like i, I am bored of that first episode it's, it's like i feel like i picked up every like there's a lot worked in here especially in the symbolism and all of that but like it's it, like one pass through will get you everything out of it you need to get out of it kind of yeah thing. like 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 it there's so like they are taking so little and using it to cover so much time like you were like to be a slow burn that i feel like there's nothing to pick up on a second viewing for me, you know? I will tell you this. I have rewatched this show. I was going to say seven, but I know that's not right. At least nine times, if full disclosure. Jeez, since I okay. first saw it back in like 2017, 2018. And I will tell you, this show goes hard on rewatchability. Because I can tell you, there are things you will not initially pick up on on a first viewing because the viewer is meant to miss things on a first watch in the first season because you're not supposed to realize these are important until you need to realize it. And that's the thing. It does present itself, especially in its first season, as this cut and dry thing. But it really isn't. There's a lot going on. There is This show was done on a from what I remember in my own research, a pretty tight budget. So they had to make every moment count for something. And if it wasn't going to be right, then it had to pay off later. It had to be a setup. This, this isn't something that was done over the course of several years. And then they said, Oh, let's go back and make that relevant. No, this was the plan from the get go. And I, that's again, one of the reasons I really love this. This is, this show is so meticulously planned. He's, I don't know. Like, like, Maybe it's me and maybe I have special eyes or something, you know, uh, maybe I just need to get an anime that is my brand. These are references to a commercial. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but like when you say, oh, you know, you'll miss it, but everything means something. I'm like, when when I watch it, like it is clear to me that everything means something. But it's also just like, oh, they're not explaining this. Like this clearly means something. And now how long is it going to be until they reveal it? And, and that is like, yeah, I could have like, that would definitely taint your view experience when you can, you kind of see the structures and you're looking for the things that fill in the holes. And like, even if they're deliberate and that's definitely like you and how you experience media. So yeah, it's, it, it's the, um, I've described it before as the fast and furious seven problem where, you know, during the production of that movie, what's his face died. And like, this was no news for everyone going into the movie. So for someone like me, 
I could not watch the movie. I was watching, I was playing the game of, is this footage from before he died or is this footage of his brother with a CG altered face? And like, like that, that became the whole show. Like it, it is when there is a question to be addressed, like if the show is not going to address it, my brain is constantly trying to find the answer. So, so for a, a slow row show like Utena, that is just going to like, is going to address it, but it's going to sort of like take forever to, I'm just like, mm, this is, this is part of where the, the pain point is for me. Sure. I'll be honest. I'm, I, I am of both minds. I do. I do like to be aware of what's going on in the media and I do want to have a question answered, but I'm also capable of divorcing myself from the need to know right away. I just accept certain things and and I will accept that going in there so I can divorce myself from that after I'm done watching it. I might wonder because I'll be honest, I've been like that before and I realized it it, in my perspective ruined my watching of it because I wasn't focused on the story. It's trying to tell us too busy trying to get ahead of the game yeah like like honestly the the actual conclusion here might be like depending on your ability to sort of divest yourself from obvious questions because like like i wish i could i am simply unable to and if you know so depending on your ability to to sort of let those questions sit and simmer you're going to have very different takes on on the show that that may be what makes your mileage vary you know 100% agree Okay. And I guess I should have probably included that at some point in the description, but I didn't because I kind of wanted to see what reactions would be. No, yeah, and that's the whole point is that we're people who haven't seen these shows of the hosts, like we're going into it completely fresh and giving our impressions of it. Fair. I agree. And my <laughs> oh, and my addition to this conversation actually leads us to the next scene. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. No, hang on. Honesty. Uh because uh, we see Utena and, you know, her not-girlfriend go over and they spot, I want to say it's a green-haired guy. Yep. Chatting with a chick. Uh, purple. That, that's Sanjay, right? The, Sionji. Uh, the, the chef Sionji? on the One Piece. <laughs> There's Sionji. Antsy. With purple hair, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. And... As Chuck would say, lifting the uh, curtain a little Pulling bit. Pulling the curtain back. Yes. We Pardon have the a, kimono. We've <laughs> made a list of our notes. And it took people pointing out to me that the garden that Anthony is tending is in the shape of a birdcage. Yeah, it's a nice little, you know, foreshadowing your metaphorical greenhouse of sorts. And the and thing I, is, like, that's not an unusual shape for a greenhouse to have. So, like, it doesn't stand out immediately as like right. at no point until we started having these conversations did i realize it was a greenhouse <laughs> or no, greenhouse a bird cage the flowers are a dead giveaway bob i'm i'm a very shallow person when it comes to watching these shows my first thought was and leading back to what i was talking about before how come these guys get to wear different clothes they make a big deal out of utena wearing a guy's outfit and you have all these other hoodlums wearing whatever they want uh, I don't know if that's special, and as we are introduced as they are a council uh, you know, uniform separation, or yeah. what? The four episodes we watch, they don't even explain it. They don't even slightly address the fact that they get to wear whatever. That's where my brain went, not to the uh, symbolism of <laughs> a birdcage that is a greenhouse for the poor girl. 
I mean, uh, on, honestly, I'm sure it means something. And I will spend the next 60 episodes wondering what. <laughs> and I'm the type of person who watches movies and shows and then has to go to YouTube and watch, like, 51 Things You Missed in Mrs. Doubtfire. It's be... actually Robin Williams in drag. <laughs> like, wait. I When I watch shows, I don't pick up on things. It has to be the super obvious. Well, this is what it meant all along for me to even pick up on it. Mm-hmm. I don't get symbolism at all. Are you? A, I mean, that's fine. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Can we just go around cat. the table? Who's a dog person and a cat person? Cat person. Okay. Cat person. Yes. Interesting. I okay. mean, yeah, like I like both, but you know I, what? I have. Here's the way I'm approaching it. I have had both, and therefore I enjoy both for very different reasons. Yeah. I like cats because they're more independent than dogs. I don't have time to devote to an animal. Personality-wise, I'm more similar to a cat, so I tend to get along with them better than I do with dogs, even though I like dogs just fine. I really dogs thought are... you were just going to say you get along better with them than people. I really thought that's how that sentence yes. was going to end. Also, that is true. Um, but yeah, dogs are very, like, emit, uh, have a higher energy vibe that I don't tune with very well and it takes a lot of energy for me to match. It's easier to chill with cats. Okay. I respect having to earn the love of a cat, but I do appreciate the blatant, unconditional love of a dog as well. The just, I love you now. I have seen you, therefore I love you. I appreciate their divergences because much like cats, I also don't like people. Most of the time. And but like dogs, if you give me like the slightest of attention, I'm probably gonna be loyal forever. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, also much like a dog, if you hurt me, I will bite you. I mean, that's true of any animal. I think that's true of all animals. So, Anthony, yeah, but no one a cat bite. Anthony, much like a dog, lives in this birdhouse. Um, yes. <laughs> is that how it's like ways work? <laughs> Oh, she lives in this total not birdhouse greenhouse uh, with Rianji coming up, and they're just chatting, and all of nowhere from our point of view with Utena, he slaps her. Straight on. And I will admit, kind of made me feel uncomfortable. I wasn't expecting that. Didn't know it was that kind of show. Uh, and before he can slap her again, along comes... I think it's the prote- or the antagonist Toga. from uh, Pokemon Gold and Silver. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Toga Kiryu? Toga Kiryu, yes. And stops him from slapping him again before Utena could get over there because she was all about to help save this lady. Yeah, she was going to jump down from the balcony and like <laughs> swoop in. You know, like a prince. Like a prince. Like, yeah, uh, like Ryoma from Shingetter jumping out of the plane to save those kids. <laughs> it's a very good point because no one else was stepping in to help Auntie out. Uh, yeah, for said, those, you see someone being shitty to a lady, step in and say, hey, cut it out. That's what a prince does. So because of the slapping, we are introduced to the council. Uh this is not an episode that shows it, but I get excited for the next time they have a meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a lady who we meet later on named Jury. Blue-haired boy. I think it's Miki, right? Yep. Correct. 
but they they don't say it in the episodes we watched. That we watched at all. True Doesn't believers matter. will know. The stopwatch kid, though. Mm-hmm. So Anthony just stands there right next to Sayanji like a good little girl. And it's how we're kind of introduced to the thought that she is maybe more or less, depending on how you look at it. It's just kind of an object to them that they're all trying to win. And at this point, they even say that that's uh, Sayanji's bride. They introduced the concept of the Rose Bride, yeah. And Sayanji has absolutely no remorse or regret. You totally got this groove. He is the not nice person of the group. Not that really. Jury is probably the one of the group that I like the most. Mm-hmm. But uh, that you're supposed to treat at least Anthony with the basis form of respect because she is this thing. Yeah, hey, she's a person. <laughs> she's a person. By the they... way, this is a good place to interject. Everyone in the show is toxic. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, have a psychological background, it's a it's a field day. It's it's an ice cream bar of diagnoses to here who, Yeah, that doesn't have an issue. Everyone here has some form of. It's not mild issues. They are extreme. In- including Utena, which is, like, fun yep. for the main character to not just be, like, this innocent cipher. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, you see it later on, but she is more complex than what we're getting right now, other than her, was it, uh, imposter syndrome? So, I mean, this is just the first episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, break from the group. Uh, but Bob, you forgot. So who Who would have a problem... About how Sionji is treating the Rose Bride. I mean, we get a, a name drop. Uh, Who's running the show? We get at least the impression that someone else is running the show. Well, the because president? the end the, the end of the world would not be happy of how they are treating the Rose Bride. I know, but, but no one cares about him. <laughs> I mean, arguably, the, the way we treat the Earth, we don't care about the end of the world either. I... The, the way that they introduce just by like proper noun, like I don't think they ever say him or they. I think it, see th- this is this is my argument for why uh, all pronouns are bad and we should only use proper nouns uh, because they just say I don't think the end of the world would approve of that, and I'm just like, oh man, I love a sentient moment in time. This show just got way more interesting to me. So we break from the emergency meeting, and. Uh, we see a, a bunch of, you know, I'm pretty sure it's every single guy in that school, all 12 of them, uh, gathering <laughs> around the, the uh, board, laughing and making jokes. And Utena overhears, I think it's the Jody, Sayanji, uh, that it's a love letter. And she gets to it and pulls it down and yells at all the guys there. Uh he deduces Sayanji's one to put it up there because it was from, uh, oh my goodness, it's not Makaba. Wakaba. Wakaba. Thank you. Waka Waka Waka. Ah. <laughs> uh, Wakaba had put it up there, and kind of got this cute little love part between Wakaba and uh, Tena, who really doesn't have the same feelings that Wakaba has, uh, but. Utena 
Guts with Sayanji saying, hey, why'd you put that up there? And Sayanji, who was conveniently on the Beat'em Stick Squad. Yeah, he's like, captain what? of the Kendo Club. Or <laughs> the Beat'em Stick Squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beat you sticks. It's like, whatever, whatever, I do what I want. And it's like, um, no, gonna whoop your ass, or but. Bob, I need to interrupt you because you just now recontextualized the show, and I cannot not see Sayanji forever now as Eric Cartman. Oh my god. Uh, anyway. You must respect his authority. I mean, yeah, oh that's kind god. of the energy he has. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Wow. Like, I knew he was a piece of work, but wow. He specifically is the vice president of the student council. And has a lot yeah. of rage issues because he's insecure and always playing second fiddle. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people are insecure. They don't just backhand someone. Oh, I'm not, like, justifying it. I'm just referring I'm just... to the series, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sayanji, fearful of his... Well, maybe not fearful. Definitely not fearful. Yeah, more believing that he's easily going to beat Utena is like, okay, we're going to go to the forest and we're going to fight this out. I'm pretty sure he says that because he doesn't think she'll be able to get in because she doesn't have a ring. Well, Yeah, this is such a weird interaction. She wears the ring all the time, doesn't she? Yeah, he he sees the ring. He recognizes it. And we got to circle back to the meeting because part of the reason for the meeting was... Toga did say, you know, end of the world did tell us, uh, Super Smash Brothers meme here, a new fighter approaching. And so Sayonji, right. seeing her ring, says, ah, new fighter approaching. I got this. I'm skilled with the, the smash hammer as Kirby. <laughs> and as, as kind and caring as Sayonji is, he totally tells her how to get in. <laughs> or she sneaks out because I believe they state that that's out of bounds. It's in yeah, the forest student. arena. Yeah. Because it's in the forbidden forest, in the forest. And Dumbledore said no. Yep. Uh, so she goes out there anyway. And she finds a door in the forest. Because that's not weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, grabs a handle and starts shaking it. And somehow through the power of magic and a squirt gun, a drop of water goes and hits her ring. To open up the door and bring along... The most awesomest song. Yeah. Ever. You can't like think about the end of the world. Yeah. It, it and I agree. This is one of those things where you hear the song every time. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes it's specifically do. supposed to evoke the magical girl transformation sequence reusing of the animation. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, where she's walking up this never ending world. Yeah. yeah, going going in a circle. It's time upstairs, for the every business. single time. Every single episode, first word in the title. Oh, she goes up there, and there's Sayanji and Anthe, just standing. Uh, and Sayanji says, you know, if you win, you get the Rose Bride. Uh, How does one win, Bob? She's like, I don't know what the fuck y'all are talking about. I'm just, just, I'm just, just telling you no. Being a jerk. Just, yeah. <laughs> and so... Bob, how does one win? Uh, by having the better... What about back? the flowers they put on them and how they have to strike Oh, yeah, them they're off. kept, yeah, too. Uh, no. Uh, that's why Anthony's Anthony, there. She, she presents she, she's them with the their flower flowers. lady who puts yeah. the flowers on people. Of course, that's Anthony's only purpose until uh, Sayanji breaks her back in half and pulls a sword out of her. It's... That's one. <laughs> Bob, you forgot about the most magical thing in the air. Before so the, the sword the, trip. 
the castle, which she looks yeah. up and sees. The yeah. mirage. Yeah, she looks up and like, oh, there's an upside down castle. That's weird. She it's handles like... it very in stride. <laughs> she's not like, what's going on? Nope. Just, she's I'm she's just clearly surprised, but it's not the reaction any normal person would have. I do, I, I do love the idea that canonically this game takes place underneath the upside down castle in Symphony of the Night. I just, <laughs> that's, that's what lives in my mind now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I, I can handle a lot in stride. I, I've. I am one of those. I used to always worry, like, how would I scream if I'm like scared in a life or death kind of situation, or what I feel is a life or death kind of situation. I have proven I have just a deep guttural reaction, not a, <laughs> not anything. So, but for all of my controlled ability, I still think if I stopped and saw the sky. Not to channel any kind of like abridged anime energy, but I'm like, no, 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 we're we're stopping right now. You explain. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> Gravity has rules. I mean, we're in a <laughs> we're getting a little bit of a small thing here. We're on a platform in the sky above a forest that no one can see outside Final of the forest. No, yeah. no items. It's like, <laughs> oh, and now you're doing a magic hand thing with pulling a sword out of a woman, like she's some trollop in a lake, and you're King Arthur. What's going on? <laughs> Okay, wait. And is it is it no items, or does Anthe count as an item for all of the uh, uh, self agency that she expresses in the course of the episode? She's a magical item you have to attune to. Okay, okay. She's a um. She's like a tome of sorts. She's a tome of swords. She's a, oh, tome of swords is my favorite uh 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 industrial noise ambient album. I love that. Would just uh, end, but okay. That's one of my favorite um sci fi series, actually. Oh, okay. Wait, that's a real thing? The Book of Swords? Yes. Oh, okay then. I don't care about books. Those those are lame ass. Uh, No, I'm I'm actually looking this up now. I'm absolutely plugging this. uh, The Book of Swords by Fred Saberhagen. Um, Appropriately, Saberhagen. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hold on, his name is Saberhagen. Yeah, no, he's one of my favorite sci-fi authors. It's like real good sci-fi fantasy blend stuff. He's making that name up. No, that's his name. Saber Hagen Dawes. Yo, I want that flavor of ice cream. <laughs> Tastes like blood sabers. of my enemies. Uh, yes, speaking uh, of sabers. Yes. Uh, of note, they do say the same thing over and over to pull the sword out of the stone that is her chest uh, and bring forth the power of revolution or something to that effect. You got uh, it. Well, and, revolutionize the world, but yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And you get the feeling that that's important to the show. Uh, I'm going right to... now, like Gutana, we're just here to kick this asshole's ass. Yes. And she pulls out her... She brought a kendo Kendo-ish. stick to a, a sword fight. Yeah, she brought her book in. <laughs> and, of course, you know how this goes. He's going to attack her and, like, break her sword in half. And then we got. Oh shit, you have a real ass sword. (laughs) You got this weird power up moment where suddenly Utena is able to dodge and weave and do super amazing things. Eventually, you see a cut to black and white. They slash at each other, and it ends up that uh, Seanji gets his flower destroyed and she still has her. So. So. I will be a little more specific. It's not just that. It's a they have a dead on charge. There is no rational way Utena can hit him first. Classic samurai showdown. Yeah, with a broken sword. She just yeah. using like a, a, a busted blade. Stick. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's maybe if we're gonna gauge it, maybe a foot long at that point. There's no way she can win logically. Yep. 
and Anthe ends up being uh, Utena's Rose Bride. Sayonji has a minor mental breakdown, which we'll cover in the notes here in a minute. <laughs> and yeah, for me, like, that's okay, all I got. I won. Stop being a dick. I'm going home now. Bye. And then she leaves, and Anthe's there at the bottom, like, I'm yours now. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, Utena, once again, handles this very much in stride. Like, uh, okay, whatever. You don't have to <laughs> hang out with that asshole. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you have now adopted me. <laughs> and I, uh, this is where I will cover right now. We are talking about fighting for ownership of a person, this person who also very much dresses in a red dress and has all the visual cues of being of more likely than not Indian descent. And mm-hmm. I mean, she, we're talking about the red wedding dress for the bride. Yeah. <sighs> That not cool. That is one of the problematic elements in here. However, again, knowing how the show goes, I believe that was a very intentional decision. Because it's, spoiler, not supposed to be okay. It's one of the things that Tenna fights against. Yes. And to to Tenna's credit, she, she not in favor of this either. But she also does go along with it. Well, because she figures that the best way to protect Anthe is to just to stay in right. the tournament as the one defending the position. It's like, well, at least if she's, you know, if I'm the one who owns her, then, you know, the dickhead won't be able to slap her, kind of. If I own her, she's technically free. Yeah. Okay, I have to I have to take uh, uh, issue with calling it a tournament, because... That's what they refer to it as. It's not structured I know, at all. But they that call is... them duels, to be yeah. fair. They are like an ad hoc because, like, Utena just comes in and challenges and just is like, like, okay, yep, let's do it. But like, like, can like, okay, well, she challenges him, and because she has the ring, it's considered part of that right tournament. Yeah, I think the ring makes him a, her a they fighter. Did, they did lightly cover, you know, if they got the ring, they can fight for the bride. But like, no ring, no bride. But, but like, then how come the student council is not just either A, constantly challenging each other day in and day out, or B, having like a complete, like, gentleman's agreement? There's more going on. There are more people involved than we are aware of that are in charge of it. Yeah. There, there is clearly, even in this first meeting, there's clearly demonstrated someone, end of the world, has a plan. All is going according to cake. It is whatever their plan is in the first episode. We're not going to know. We're not supposed to know. Okay, but it's scripted. It's not a tournament. It's pro wrestling. It's pro wrestling. Yes. Well, I agree with you. It's not a tournament. It is duels. It is a series of duels. Okay. So for the audience, I did tell everyone, like I didn't, one of the episodes I wanted to throw in was episode 13. And Nick, I will without actually giving away anything other than one small bit of information they address that directly no I, like again like i'm sure everything gets addri- like th- like that is the one thing i'm sure of now like everything that sort of like i question about the show it is a question that they are like choosing to put in there and they will address later like <laughs> But they're not addressing it right now, and it is a very good question, and hey... And it is the first episode. 
you can you you can you can you can pose and answer questions in the same episode and then have a second meta layer of questions that drag on. That's what but, makes a yeah. lot of shows like <laughs> Lost and all of those long form ones work. Is you have like what are they, what are we seeking the answer to this episode? Yeah, and when they don't, they're weaker for it. Not necessarily. That's my hot take. Well, again, not if they're personal taste. It in a different. Yeah, it's a personal taste, but not if they're you know yeah. doing it. Then they, that's they have the a end formula of episode one. Yes. So, Joe, I know you and I share an opinion on the sickest burn in this episode. As closer uh, to a linguist than I. Yes, that comes up. Specific, uh, the, yeah, I can use that. Uh, well, that's a question. Should I save my mini lesson about Japanese language and pronoun use? Does it, the end of the episode. Do we have I, other examples that it's relevant to in these four episodes? Um, not really specifically. Okay, I'd say we could get this one out of the way now, just because it's really good. Okay, yeah, because as soon as um Utena wins and Anthe kind of goes over to her, she turns to Sionji and refers to him as using the sort of, like, default peer-to-peer language of, like, you know, good to see you, fellow classmate. Um, instead of what she would be referring to him as the bride to her owner, which is using a slightly archaic um, form of address. So, and by changing the language she uses to speak to him, she is very specifically and pointedly like needling him about the fact that he just lost the duel and is no longer her owner and can't fucking slap her anymore. <laughs> and on top of everything else, that's the final straw that broke the Sayonji's back. Mm-hmm. So, again, th- th- this is my read not having foreknown information, but like, mm-hmm. it is a sick burn. But when I read it, it's not like Anthe trying to burn him. It is just Anthe like following the rule set. It's just like, oh, she won, so you're no longer my husband, so or I'm no longer your bride. I think that's a probably an important distinction. Um, but like, oh, I'm no longer your bride, so this is just what I refer to you as now. Like, I don't think she does it on purpose. I think that probably hurts him more. It's just like, yeah, no, she's just like she is not making a decision. Reiterating she is just... a state of things. Um. I f- and yes again, and no. Yes, yeah, so personal <laughs> opinion. I feel he is aware enough of the situation. He doesn't need to be told that. Yeah, and that's why I say, like, sure, she, I agree. Sure, she's telling him that, but she's also doing it for her own personal benefit. And that's yeah, that's it's my very take much from her, day one. Her small way of of getting back at him for the abusive behavior. It's yeah. You ever seen DS Nine? Derek gets beat up by a bunch of Klingons and. They're like, why aren't you, you know, charging the or seeking charges? It's no, no, no. I got off a bunch of insults, and those insults will bust their honor <laughs> chops for the rest of their lives. You've already fixed my broken everything. <laughs> to grossly paraphrase, uh-huh. it's so much more eloquent, and that's honestly what we get from Anthe here is the, oh, you slapped my face, but I just kicked your ego. <laughs> um, be- before we're off the topic of like, uh honorifics and such uh going back to the start of the episode and when she's like i'm waiting for my boyfriend yes does that play like 
less jarringly in Japanese? Um, oh, I didn't actually look at the words specifically for that. I, I got the sense that it's just, um, a way of referring to, cause they're, they're best friends. Like, it's, it's like a, an inside joke kind of. Right. Like, that she calls her, her boyfriend cause she's taking on that, that mat set of masculine, pers- like, persona traits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think it's meant to be serious. But, but Both like, in Japanese and, in English, and I believe it. In some instances, I would say most of it, it does work better in the Japanese. Wakaba is demonstrated, even in the episodes we've watched, to have deeper than just. I won't say like immensely deeper, but maybe a shade or two deeper than friendship feelings towards Utena. Oh, obviously. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> while she while she's not while she's not you know. Being maybe literal, this is my boyfriend, my, my romantic partner. This is, you know, you can call him my boyfriend and we can joke, but you know, I'm not saying no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's kind of plays into like that, that over affection between, you know, female best friends kind of thing and like kind of lets her cross the line into that. But, but I, I think maybe it, you know, cause, cause I'm thinking about it in terms of like, in English, we do have the problem of like, oh, this is my girlfriend and this is my friend who is a girl, uh, yeah. you know, th- that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so it's like, was it like, I could believe that it's like, oh, are you waiting for like your your partner for your, you know, significant other, whatever. But like the joke was actually using that instead of like the platonic friend form and for the localization to show that it's, you know they are, are saying something weird here, you had to lean into boyfriend. Because, like, I feel like Wakaba... I mean, they have specific words for boyfriends. I'm sorry, I I just didn't catch what word they used. Okay. but Just because, like, it's Wakaba who calls Utena uh, her boyfriend. Boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Which, like, Utena... Utena is a girl who is a prince. That is generally the way she refers to herself. So I figure uh, mm-hmm. Wakaba, like, actually sort of, like you know, having affection and you would imagine like, you know, I, I don't know. Respect is maybe like too much of like, like, cause like I know inside jokes you can do a lot with like, but like, I, f- I feel like if she would make that joke with Utena, Utena would be like, I'm not your boyfriend. I'm a girl. I just happen to be a prince. And it's, so it's like, I don't think that would be an inside joke between them. So I find it weird that no, she would No, I think it's that. more just um, like a jokingly to refer Cause like, that's a ju- quote unquote joke that's used even in, in other shows for like with high schools and stuff. It's just like you're referring to the person that you exhibit that behavior towards that you're, you're standing around waiting for before you go to class. The person you're eating lunch with, like. I would definitely say it's a term of affection here because yeah. even when you take into account when we are first starting to get introduced to the idea, the very visual of Auntie and Sayonji in the first place, uh, walk about Utini's Otena and. <laughs> You know, t- completely tackles her from behind and just profusing, uh, pro- <laughs> proclaiming. Uh, give me a favor, cut that out. And I'll start over. At You're proclaiming. Late. Cool. Proclaiming her love for Utena, and Utena doesn't correct her in any fashion. Just that right. she's like, "Yeah, you cut it out. I'm gonna fall." <laughs> um. But- so it's definitely a term of of endearment and affection, and I believe it's intention again not a linguist watched in Japanese. And I I will say the subtitles where there were differences, they appeared boyfriend still showed up. Sure. 
I, so, I, but the way it's presented, I get the impression it's a term of endearment and affection and intentionally ambiguous. I, I think I'm starting to, to get the idea that uh, I am simply too woke and this is, <laughs> it is not boyfriend as in, oh, isn't that so different because she's a girl, but it's boyfriend as in like, like a girl would be waiting for a boyfriend. We're not even right. going to consider the idea of a lesbian relationship. It's like, oh right. yeah, no, you're, I... you're waiting for someone who's a romantic partner. You're a girl. That would be your boyfriend. Like, like now looking at it that way. Okay, I can I can buy how I would say this yeah. really yeah. matches. Put this that's into the equivalent of '90s woke, and that's probably more correct uh, assessment. Because again, Wakaba definitely has the energy of like, I'm not saying she isn't my boyfriend, but I will call her my boyfriend. Yeah. But 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 again, like like it's not because Utena is masculine; it's because right. she wants to go out with Utena, and she is a girl. Like like that is. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of implies that they have had a ongoing familiarity for some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just listen. Language doesn't always uh, rise to the occasion of describing the situation. I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. Yeah, um, I'll leave it at that because otherwise so... a fight will occur. I don't think a fight, but I I bet we're on the same page, and we will not feel like it because language often fails to rise to the occasion. We're probably saying the same thing, just in two different ways, and we want our way, and that's fine. That's why I say, like, "Eh, I get what you're coming from. Yeah. But that being said, yeah, I there it's there's there's a lot going on. Like even some of the without going into high details to kind of address things, there's a lot of like actual viewpoints of position of the camera that the audience sees from in this that I'm pretty sure no, no one picked up on again until later won't really matter. Mm. But because you're not going to think about it, it's just, Oh, this is a creative choice. It was a creative choice, but not for the reason you, you initially thought. Sure. Um, also, I will say something here uh, just because it will be kind of relevant later. Everyone kind of is represented where you get this, like, nice little filigree framing and some spinning roses that usually match up the color. The only ones that didn't match in this episode were Toga and Anthe, just laying it out there. <laughs> I, I will discuss it later when it is relevant because it's, again, not spelled out, but this is it is a point in episode 11 that becomes relevant and it's kind of... The way of like, ah, I see now what you did. Mm. Okay, uh, shall I move on to the next episode then? Yes. Yeah. I have to hit a button for that. Yeah. Our next episode was episode seven, Unfulfilled Jury. Miss opportunity to call it, the jury is still out. <laughs> I know, okay, I need an abridged version of the show and I need that to be the title. <laughs> But Bob, tell us tell us about this jury and why they are unfulfilled. We are introduced to jury. She is uh, also on the council. She's also the only girl on the council, uh, and she happens to be great at everything she does. She's a fencer. See a line of along with this show, probably all guys, but a line of a bunch of people who are trying to take her out, and she wins every time. Uh, and I believe it's Miki is there mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out what's going on and it's like she just doesn't think anyone there's worth anything here there, no one's going to beat her 
You see her fidget with her necklace. And she's trying to also get the Rose Bride, but for her own reasons. If uh, seen, I see uh, her. That is something to be said for this show, too. Like, the, the girl-girl relationships are not ever presented as something, like, unusual or, like, exceptional to the norm. It's just, mm-hmm. like... You know, sometimes, yeah, like, girl-girl relationships, gay relationships happen sometimes, like, it's just part of it. So, Jerry is looking for Utena, uh, presumably to challenge her. She's Utena's being, uh, down by the counselor because he brought her pet to school, a ridiculous creature called Choo-Choo. Well, to be fair, Choo Choo, as we we learn in Lieutenant's defense, Choo Choo came with the lunch she brought. Choo Choo <laughs> has this way of being where food was. But same, jury uh, <laughs> being as friendly uh, with the staff because she really is, and, and by friendly, I don't mean oh wanting to date them. Friendly as in. All the teachers like her. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they, to, to kind of highlight, she's having a conversation with the vice principal, if I remember correctly. Um, pretty much there was a inter-school uh, meeting between, you know, uh, I keep wanting to say heads of state, but that's not really who runs a school. Um, administrations, and she represented the school very well, and he's commending her, but he wants to have lunch with her? It, and the delivery leaves a lot of ambiguity, but I kind of get the impression it might be pseudo-inappropriate because of how Jerry handles it. With just the greatest of class, hey, counselor, the vice principal's looking for you to go on a date. And the counselor's like, really into the vice principal, I guess? So they mm-hmm. go out on a date. Uh, meanwhile, Jerry gets her chance to talk to Atena. Tennis like, I know you, you're a jury, you're the girl who everyone talks about behind your back. Like she just straight up lays it out. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but Untuna or Atuna doesn't care. Tenna, oh my goodness. Utena I don't think it was care. so much behind your back just everyone talks about you because you're so exceptional. I don't think that she calls her exceptional. She calls her they do say like People act like you're unapproachable or cold, yeah. but they don't necessarily say like it, like it's like oh people are talking about you secretly. It's like these are what people think about you, and you have to give Atena credit for that. She doesn't toe around jury. But yeah, she's jury, forthright. Jury's like, hey, I'm on the council, and I'm pretty sure that in between episodes, because this is episode seven, uh, Utena knows that jury's part of the council too. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Jury challenges her, and that happens. Uh, we skip to uh, Team Rocket getting together, and no joke. So the council has their own phrase that I can only assume, just like the cool song, they say every time they get together for a meeting. They do. Like, this is this is how this elevator is powered by this <laughs> seventeen-word-long password. Uh, they talk about how the world's an egg and they need to break it open. That way they can bring revolution to the world. Once again, we bring back revolution. Uh, 
So they all get together, and red-haired dude is throwing ice at blue-haired dude. Symbolism. Yes. Also, I will point out, it, th- in this meeting, they discuss how there are two duels left to occur. Well, two? Yes, two. Uh, one of them has to be uh, jury. The other would be Toga. Okay. Toga. So she hasn't challenged her yet, just for clarity's sake. So Toga's throwing uh, knives at Miki <laughs> and talking to jury while Miki is a little bit about her real motivation as to why she's doing this. It goes back to Jury being spurned by a lover and her best friend. We go with a very classic, almost American trope, which I'm sure is universal, of her best friend stole her wannabe boyfriend, even though she didn't tell her boyfriend that she liked him. And they are not direct at saying who Jury was attracted to, but Jury felt betrayed. And because of that, she feels like miracles don't exist in the world. They they really lead you by the nose into assuming it's 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 the boy though. Yeah, you assume the, the setup is Jury's interested in this dude, and then her friend ends up going after the dude, so she feels betrayed by that. Like I also mean, already it's the '90s, so like it doesn't take much to lead people there. But even yeah. by today's standards, <laughs> it's just like oh, the girl and the boy and the love, especially because like the. The the framing and, and that the way we the get, are showing, yeah, yeah. That, uh, the girl keeps on whispering to the other girl, "Do you hate me? Do you hate me because I took your your man?" It, she doesn't say do your it. man. I had to do it. Yes, and you, you, you were happy. I had to do it. We keep hearing from this other girl who is like stating that this was a state of things, but we're hearing it from her, not from an omniscient third party. But like, she's the or only one. Where, yeah, we're hearing no other like contrary or even you know there's no other voices that are presented to give doubt to her story so that that mm-hmm. is very much a show like here's the only voice you need to hear ho 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 ho, yeah. ho secretly this I'm one girl we don't it. we don't hear the boy we don't hear anyone you're right it's just this one girl and she's telling you and so as you said they're leading you by the nose she's the problem and yes she's the problem <laughs> everyone in this show is toxic Although I still really do do not mind a jury because at least her motivation seems less selfish at this time. Yeah, she's. It's just There's, I can kind of relate to jury in a little bit. You, you ever have your your heart broken on something or by someone so much like, oh, happiness isn't real. Burn the world. It, it's not necessarily burn the world, but it's like I need to disprove what you believe vehemently. Because it didn't work for me. Uh, you fight because Utena shows up. Maybe not during this meeting, but that's our next scene. And now Utena has the power to pull swords out of poor Anthe. Uh, and they have their fight. And Jury is an excellent fighter. There is no doubt about that. She pretty much has the upper hand the entire time. It's the side of yelling at Utena. Miracles don't exist. I want the Rose Bride have the revolution just to prove that miracles don't exist. Because I guess she's 14 and she's just going through that phase. I don't know. Just felt very forced almost. 
Actually, the rest of the student council was actually like 17. Just for a point of clarity. Yeah, the student council. Okay, so the way school structures are set up in Japan is um, Uchena is basically like like at the top of middle school. And the student council is the top of the high school. Ah, okay. But, like, they're in the same, like, facility. For for an audience purpose that may not be familiar with that, they don't arguably do a good job of explaining it. Yeah. So, Jury and Utena, Jury is winning. She's getting ready to... Or, she did a slice... Cause the sword to go flying through the air. She's getting ready to go in for the stabbing blow to get rid of uh, Tenna's toes. And the sword comes out of the sky and chops uh, Jury's rose instead. So yeah, miracles don't occur. A miracle. Mm-hmm. They very strongly show you that miracles occur. And Jury is like, oh, now she turns into the next sad one. Because when you lose, you just get really, really sad. <laughs> well, we also, in the losing, get, like, the full perspective of the, the quote-unquote bizarre love triangle. Jury was attracted to the girl, not the guy. Correct. It's like, I guess maybe it's point of view of nowadays. For me, it's like, whatever. Yeah. In the 90s, this was more surprising. That makes me feel bad, because it's like, we're really trying to force that through. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the point of time where I'm at right now, where it's less impactful. I will say, a lot of what, what Jury's depiction is actually handled very tastefully, including one of my biggest gripes about most anime. When you show some person, especially a young woman, under the age of 18, in a shower... They typically go for the, like the full from behind viewpoint. The full pan with the no. Like, this was shoulders up yeah. from behind only. This was so tasteful. I I commend it. It was just really well done. Uh, it it gets marks for not being every other anime on that. Um, mm. uh, I did like the, again the slow reveal. Like I'll be honest, watching this first time, I'm like, oh yeah, she she digs the girl. Right, that's the that's the surprise we're getting at the end. She digs the girl. The girl broke her heart because the girl thought she was into the guy. It actually kind of goes a long way to, because at the end when we get that revelation and the kind of fulfillment of the conversation, and then we see the whose photo is really in the locket, they really do a lot of early work telling you, no, no, the girl, the problem, knew Jerry was into her and that the boy was into Jerry, the head of the uh, fencing team at the time was into Jerry, and so she told him the truth. Jerry's just not that into you. She's into someone else. But I can be into you. And therefore takes, she takes away what mattered most to Jerry, which was her love, her hope, the miracle of finding someone she wanted to be with. Which... It's just to the end of the episode. Anyone got anything to add? Go on. Well, because the, the, some of the other episodes that you have seen were more of the stuff about Jury, wasn't it? I think 
Jury would be a super rad character, but this episode specifically is like wasting her potential. Um, just because like we are getting the like, okay, you remember how in Korra they set up a love triangle and then they had like the best possible outcome, which was like the two girls hooked up. God, don't get me started on that shit. I never watched Korra, but I heard I heard things. I only watched the first season. I, I watched most of the first season, but like from everything I know, I've, I've seen all of it. But so, but so like it is kind of a thing of like, hey, we're setting up this love triangle, and then actually the two girls say fuck the guy, and then ha- live happily ever after in a beam of light or whatever. Yeah, I remember hearing <laughs> about that. Um, and so like I feel like that is like a a cool way to resolve a triangle, and. The way this show has done it is like, oh, like, actually, one girl destroys the other girl or thinks she's doing it and, like, does and doesn't apologize. It's, they use it in, like, the traditional sense and then the big reveal at the end is like, oh, it didn't have to be that bad because she's gay. And, like, her entire motivation is she was broken by this love triangle. The way this, the way this episode presents it. Jury is like a tutorial on how to fail the Bechdel test because, because her whole thing is this sort of, you know, we were misled into what part of the triangle she was. It is still that relationship and her being broken of it is a result of a relationship between a, a guy and a girl and, you know, two guys and one girl and whatever that triangle is. And so everything she's done is in the context of motivated by that. So there's nothing they set up. So there's nothing she can do that isn't because of that in, in one connection or another. And that's a bummer for jury because from the later episodes, she does get better. She does get cooler. She does play like more important and interesting and nuanced roles. This episode sells her short. <laughs> That that is that is really my 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 spot here. And I, I I get that, and I agree. In a vacuum, I see that. I would say even with the episode, arguably what little we see in one of the other episodes we watch, at least we get the impression on this, this was her dra- equivalent of a Dragon Ball Z episode where we first meet a character who's antagonistic, and now, hey, Krillin is our best friend. We get this is just her introduction to what she does, what what has been her motivation, and then she grows from there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh- Agreed. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying, like, but and it, there's clearly the implication of her growth. So, but I get what, like I said, 100% see where you're coming from on a singular episode. Totally agree with you. This, yeah, she was sold short. All right. I, I think, I think that's like, yeah, that, that that's also something, something about at the very end where she defeats herself is just like, you know, I actually kind of like that. Yeah, no, in, in the moment I was hooting and hollering because it's just like self comeuppance, but like, and, and, and like the, the show loves to, to frame it as just like, oh, is it, was it really a miracle for Utena? So, but it's just like, okay, so are we just like, now we're just rubbing salt in Jerry's wounds and also like, or, or it's like, did she, you know, bring about her own comeuppance? Because of her being broken, yada, 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 back to because of this love triangle. And it's just like, mm, actually, even that kind of. Mm. We also see something in this fight we didn't see in episode one, which is Magic Man Descend from Sky. Yeah. Yeah, we did see that. Magic Man Descend from Sky and all of a sudden, uh, has a speed boost. Uh, the power of Dios. That's the sword of Dios. I'm sure that's a name that has no meaning. 
Uh, the last two episodes we watched are episodes 11 and 12, which are a two-parter, like, not season finale, but, um, arc finale. Um, so we're, I guess we can kind of talk about them together. Well, I didn't create a combined label, so we're going to start <laughs> well, with 11. We'll start with 11. <laughs> Gracefully cruel, the one who picks that flower. So the scenes open with Utena and uh, her girlfriend, Wakaba, uh, getting ready to have some lunch. And Wakaba has made Utena some food. Lunch. And apparently this is like an ongoing thing because she's already warning against what food was made or not. Here comes Anthe, who has also made food for Utena. Utena. Oh my goodness, that sounded horrible. Utena for... Uh, being the rose bride. It's almost like that's her job is to make her food. Um, the three have this kind of eating of food and just having a good time together. Uh, also, they... Choo Choo is there. Oh, yes. Also, Choo Choo is there. How could oh. I have forgotten stinking old Choo Choo? <laughs> Allow me to explain, Bob. Uh, Anthe really loves shaved ice. She has only ever made shaved ice. So for her to have actual food is unusual. She hasn't quite figured out how, uh, like, the bento thing works, because she has, like, one food per level of the bento. <laughs> it's oh. like the second one is just entirely yakisoba. <laughs> and oh. it's all the, yeah. um, uh, Uchenna, I think it's Utena in the comments that it's all basically, like, fair food, like, stuff you would get. Um, that's like easy and quick to make. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Toga comes up after uh, in a later scene after this one, and they're all having fun being friends. Uh, and says, "I challenge you for the Rose Bride." And I believe we do understand, even with the episodes we watched, that this is, I think, the final fight, close to. Yes, um, essentially, there has been a organizational fight because it's, there's not really been a hard set of order until mm-hmm. uh, End of the World sends you a letter and says, you go, or certain circumstances lead you to, I don't know, be upset about your past, and then you decide, I'm going to fight you. Uh, and so that oh. determines the inevitable order. Yeah, also, uh, in between the last episode and this one, um... Sionji kidnapped Anthe and took her to the arena, and then Utena had to save her, well, and then Sionji uh, attacks Utena and cuts Toga instead, and as a result gets expelled. So that's why he disappeared. Yeah, right. uh, and to kind of further go on that, it wasn't all Sionji's initial intent. He was motivated into it this position. It doesn't matter at this point. I'm just <laughs> saying that that's actually, why he's I not here. I think it does because it's all part of Toga's plan. Because Toga, it, goes, it goes away to explain why uh, Utena's behaving kind of the way she is throughout these episodes. Because well, these Toga episodes. knows why Utena's here. Yes. That she's Toga, looking for Toga's her friend. deep information. And Toga's like, I'm going to use this to my advantage. And even in this early point where he fights or invites her to duel, he starts playing as though he is possibly Prince that had rescued her as a girl. And Utena is believing it a little bit. 
psychological warfare. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying. He, he's this has been going on for like four episodes, or by now three episodes. He has been setting up the dominoes for his duel with Utena. Well, has he been setting it up, or has the end of the world been setting it up? I mean, arguably, he's been setting it up. In, I mean, with the go-ahead given by end of the world. So, cut to the fight where Utena uh, and Toga are going to fight for Anthe, and Utena is just super great. And pulls the sword out of poor Anthe, her poor backbone that that it is, uh, and gets to fighting. Uh, Anthe is just standing to the side watching Gutena, and Koga standing there like just nothing. Toga and Utena fight. Utena shows almost that she's a superior fighter because she has the ability to, you know, summon that speed up, summon that power up. But Koga's aware of this, to an extent. So he's expecting it, and just when Utena's getting ready to lay down the final smackdown, uh, Koga starts, as uh, Joe stated, uses his psychological warfare to cause her to delay long enough for Koga to win the match and slice her rose. Yeah, he, like, lowers his defenses, so she's basically, like, attacking just, like, an unarmed dude standing there, but because of all the things about him maybe being her prince, it, like, throws her off, and she's like, why I can't just attack him. It's you back to... Oh, God. He's 100% doing the pickup artist type uh -huh. psychological manipulation shit, because, like, even earlier, there's a moment where, um, uh... The, he's like doing negging or he's like he's mm -hmm. kind of talking down on her but just like oh aren't you so sweet you think you're better than you are and it's just like oh that is the grossest not only is that yeah, a gross thing to say but that is the grossest way to say it wow you realize maybe Sayanji's actually the better one because he's just straightforward with who he is Koga is just this ugh, person like you say uh, yeah, he, he's, he's why, embracing the gaslight part of his life. Yeah, and that's why Toga is the pre the uh, student council president, and Sionji was only the vice president. There's, uh, and we we kind of gloss over a little bit. Um, Toga also has a read on uh, Anthe at this point when yeah, they were up. observing the dinner, the the lunch. Excuse me. He uh, Miki finds him spying on the trio having lunch and he's essentially says, yeah, one of them's not really happy. You can kind of tell by looking at her and Miki can't pick up which one it is. Hmm. And he, yeah. he makes it clear it's Anthony. Okay. With that moment, is he accurate or is he full of himself and he is confident of what he thinks he sees? I have an answer. Cool. <laughs> I will only present it if you ask me to really give it because I don't. I don't want to assume this is not just, you know, thinking out loud as it were. No, yeah, yeah. If, at, at at this point in time, like that's probably better left as like in yeah. a question than as something we actually answer. I'm just asking the questions, man. 
<laughs> oh god, he's just asking questions. Listen, I'm going to have my spot on the student council too by the end of this. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, they got some openings. <laughs> so Tina loses her duel. But I think the thing that bugs me is the after, because throughout the episode you see Tina talking to Auntie like. Don't you want to leave this? Don't you want to be your own person? Mm-hmm. And Anthony responding, yes, I want to leave this. Yes, I want to be my own person. Yes, I want to have more friends. And You should be friends uh, with Wakaba, yes. Yep. Koga, observing all this, is like, she's only saying that because she's your rose bride. She's just repeating back what you want to say. And it's like, Isn't that right, Auntie? Yes, it is right. Yeah, like, I clocked that two episodes ago. <laughs> no, I know. And that's watching this episode. This, I don't pick up on symbolism, but straight away you could just feel just with the way she was talking and repeating exactly what she said. It's like, yeah. Yeah. come on, Utena, I realize you aren't the brightest one. It's and, yeah. Well, this, that's because this... caught up in her own, like, prince-princess thing. <laughs> right, and Toga is quick to point that out. I was like, you assumed a lot. And to be fair, she did. Mm-hmm. And you wrote those assumptions. The thing... But you were wrong. The, the thing that I love and, you know, when this show decides to answer a question, I usually find myself very satisfied with the answers. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, it's really cool because the thing that that this moment is kind of showing that Utena is naive to is not necessarily, like, to herself or to whatever, but it's just like she, the dramatic irony that she does not realize that she is the protagonist in a young adult novel built out of symbolism. So she's trying to treat Anthe and everyone else like normal people, like uh-huh. who would respond normally. And they're not like, she is an alien to this world of symbolism. Yeah. She's, I, I mean, they, they, this episode and this revelation is clearly for Utena's benefit of showing her you're, you really don't know what series you're in, do you? Yeah. Which is like a cool twist on it. Like that is a better twist than her actually like actually realizing something about herself and her place in society. It's just like, or, or like it is that, but it's like, it's not that, you know, you're being awoken to the reality of reality. It's you're being awoken to how, not to how different your reality is from the reality as all the audience knows it. And like, mm-hmm. that's, that's a cool twist. That's a cool place to take it. Show you, you win me in sometimes if you were just a little, a little quicker about it. And again, this, the way the slow, the show slow burns, we're going for that Greco Roman tragedy here of, Oh, Caesar is the last one to realize how bad things are. Hmm. And in the role of Utena as Caesar. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, but it, it, to your point, it does two things at once. It does show her that, but it also does help her realize, like, you've been making a lot of gross assumptions, and much like everyone else, you've been trying to impose your will on Anthe. The only difference is you felt so right about yours, you didn't question that if that's what Anthe wanted. Yeah. You just assumed it was because she told you so. And and, and like I love that. Yeah, like like even on that 
more realistic Utena's like personal realizations, the idea of like she thought she was just trying to be nice to to Anthe, but she was she was more in love with Anthe as a princess to be rescued because she's so caught up in the idea of being a prince that she wasn't Anthe as like an independent existence. And it's just she, like like those that's good. That's a good way to be working on levels. She had un, unrealizingly been treating Anthe as much of an object as anyone else had. Right. Because she hadn't acknowledged that autonomy and independence. And that's that's the thing. I love that. That's part of the reason I wanted this episode in here is Man, we get that. We we get that that twist. That is one of the other reasons I didn't state I liked Utena is this really subverts typical uh, magical girl and other tropes of the nature of well, the hero is always in the right. The hero doesn't do wrong. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe because again, think of how the the first episode and several episodes introduce it with the replaying of. Utena and how she came to fall into the ideals of the prince at the end. It's the prince gave her this ring. Engagement ring, not engagement ring, not really the point. But she became enamored with the idea. And she always ends it with, but was that such a good idea? And this kind of goes to show, mm, there can be problems with that. So we slowly switch into the next episode picks up immediately after this one. For friendship, perhaps. Uh, oh, right, sorry. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> say the name. I think everybody's sleepy. Or at least I'm hoping so that way I don't seem too out of place. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I can summarize, like, the first half of this episode very easily. Okay. Tennis ad. Okay, allow me to ask the question. Does that mean you need someone to surmise the rest of it? Or well, I can do no. is there something He's just saying that literally the, the, that the first okay. half is really drilling the point home that Lieutenant okay. is sad that she lost, that she misses Anthony. Having an identity crisis, revisiting. He's yeah. dressing like a girl everything. instead of wearing the altered boy's clothes. Everyone else can notice it. It's She's just, in the find-out stage. Yeah. She literally got emasculated. <laughs> wow, you know, I didn't even think of it like that, but you know, you're not you're not wrong. Wow. Toga punched the boy out of her. I uh poked with his soid. <laughs> yeah. Also, small note, notice he didn't have a fencing sword like everyone else did. He had a katana. Hmm. It's better he than a, yeah, it was very interesting. I'm torn because I both appreciate the fact that we're showing a protagonist realizing that they screwed up, recovering. Not that that's completely uncommon, but it's always appreciable to see. And I really felt like this dragged. Like they had to. I get that. The, put the point home a hundred bajillion times. Eventually, uh, with Wakaba's help, you know, getting slapped by. <laughs> Tenna at a certain point in this because Wakaba's tired of her acting like a wimp in front of Koga and Anthe walking around town. Uh, that she grows the strength to challenge Koga to another match. And Koga's like, okay, a question, Chuck. Are they allowed to do that? Just Yeah. She still has the same all the time. I thought. 
thought that they had a limited number of matches. This is what Nothing I'm saying. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the student there's a lot of assumption bound, here. Yeah, the student council are bound by the will of some unknown entity that's pulling strings. And this also kind of highlights why Utena's uniform is different, because there's an exception to the rule. They are part of the student council. She is not. They can challenge her once, essentially. Once, you know, per, per arc, as it were. She, however, doesn't have any of those restrictions. Is that explained explicitly or is that inferred? You should really watch episode 13. Anyway. <laughs> Man, why didn't so, we watch episode 13? It sounds like that one really know, goes off. Very difficult choice. You so, so feed me a baby. Honestly, you so feed me a choice. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I Solomon, Solomon's choice for the Amiga yeah, 17. Me a baby. <laughs> Honestly, not to, not to, to Monday quarterback this. Uh huh. Like, yo, jury is super cool. But if this was just one eleven, twelve, thirteen, that that probably that sounds like that would have been a really good selection. I I needed to drill home the the twist from from the difference, and that's why I okay. felt it was relevant. All right, all right, all right. That's that's really what it boiled down to. It's like I need to have those two there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Koga says yes because Koga's confident he's going to win. Why wouldn't he win? He beat Bob. Are you saying Koga or Toga? I'm saying Koga, but it's Koga. Okay. I you've answered I've another question you. I had. Thank you. And you've <laughs> passed the test. No, I just you were saying it so smoothly, like, I don't know. I can't I can't read Bob this time. This, oh, anyway, this episode that, sponsored by Coca Cola. This episode <laughs> sponsored apparently that. by gaslighting. <laughs> been gaslit. So Toga oh. accepts the challenge. And he has every reason to believe that he's going to win this challenge. He's beat Utena before. He has the power sword now. So he has the he's Atari confident, code. but not arrogant. Which is mm. maybe not a strong difference. But he's it's a difference both. between him and uh, Sianji, though. I would say he has confidence, which has made him arrogant. I will concede that. So we got our cool rock music, go up top. We got our usual, well, maybe not usual, because this time it's uh, Toga pulling the sword out of Auntie. Which I do appreciate that they change the character out every time to pull out the sword. It's not just the sword goes in the air or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a minute detail that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did, do different people draw different swords? Nope, same sword. I, I think it's no, just the one sword, sword is the same. Okay. That is specifically the sword of Dios. Okay, because I, I remember there was that, but I thought there somebody said a line about, like... The the sword taking different forms depending because it is like the person the like the will of the person drawing the power of revolution is also like molding what that power will do. I, maybe I had a maybe I had a hallucination in the middle, but oh, uh, we see something a little bit different this time. Uh, Oga actually points the sword at Anthe. Says, hey, this is you, this is the sword, get in the sword. But she doesn't get in the sword, I don't think. She, she powers she, up she the sword so it's kiss. glowy. Yeah. Then it turns into a glowy sword. And I'm trying to remember how they put it, but isn't it essentially if you 
Wound the sword, you break anti or something to that effect? Uh, anti give power to sword. Because magic. Because anti have power. He put in the... He unlocked the level 2 version. Yeah, like I said, he Atari cheat-coded his way into a power sword. <laughs> and... Tenna's like, well, crap, but I'm still gonna do this! And arguably, if- I will add, it, it, the way he talks about it implies that he was aware of what the sword's capabilities were, where Utena really just said, oh, cool, I can yeah. draw a sword. So they fight, even though Utena actually kind of understands she has the not-winning abilities, to the point where a power sword slices through her sword and breaks it, although it was nice that she brought a sword this time instead <laughs> of a kendo stick. Whose sword? I actually don't remember. Jury's sword. Really? Jury, Jury is having herself a little coup d'etat. That's cool. A little bit of a rebellion. Oh. As she should. <laughs> mm-hmm. We assume that Toga's gonna win because he's going in for the strike, but there's magic, there's mystery, there's wonder, and Utena gets the... an inner monologue. Yeah, someone has an inner monologue that isn't Utena. Which, like... Mm -hmm. Or Toga. Anthe having an inner monologue is the least believable thing to me about this episode. No, I I hate to say it, but I kind of agree because she really does, does seem like almost a fake person. She, You can see she's slowly developing she's a person. like a doll. She's developing a personality, but at this point for her to be to this level is very interesting. I don't know how Utena got her to this point when <laughs> she was given just as many instructions as anyone else. Yeah, like, so maybe this is for after episode discussion, but like, I, like, again, as somebody who doesn't have, uh, you know, foresight into what happens at the end of this series, my theory crafting was going off the rails at this point about like, okay, <laughs> the the world is an egg, but who is the chick? Uh-huh. Is Utena a chick? She would say she is, but nobody treats her like one. For Sessa, you is a chick. <laughs> That's in my notes! <laughs> Because I'm uh, weird. It's okay, don't worry about it. It's fine. So, Anthe comes Utena's Rose Bride yet again. Where Utena is just like, I want you to quit this whole Rose Bride stuff. And they go off. Yeah, uh, we kind of glossed over a little bit. Um, but during the fight, Utena um, emphasizes that she's not doing this to win Anthe back. She's doing it for her own sake. To, like, win back herself, kind of, in a way. Yeah. This this is not for Anthony. This is for Utena. Anthony is just kind of there for the ride. Utena gets her groove back. Mm-hmm. That's actually in my notes, if I remember correctly. I'm not looking at them. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we are to the end of our episodes. Well, there was, yeah, the, the getting her back... Anthe's inner monologue, regardless of what we've heard about it, uh, kind of showing that, yeah, Anthe does have more than a personality. She's not Rei Ayanami. Um, don't hey. worry about Bob. Um, hey. I said what I said. I stand by it. All right. Rei we'll have, mama. We'll have that fight in about six months then. All right. So be <laughs> it. Fight me, Internet. Okay, so... Uh... Regardless of Ray Sunglasses or whatever her name is. Correct. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, Ant Anthe is displaying some kind of awareness of self and awareness of maybe wanting things because for all of Utena's flaws and how she may have handled their relationship and interactions, there was an earnestness to it. She really did want these things for Anthe because she cared. She may not have done it in the right way or even asked Anthe once what she really wanted. But now it's a matter of, okay, I've learned my lesson in a sense. I, I have had time to deal with myself. I self-canceled. I have re-enabled myself. <laughs> I am back. And this is not about Anthe. This is not about anything. This is just about me getting, as so eloquently put, my groove back. If I get Anthe back too, cool. But I want to know I went out on my terms. And she did. And she's now entered you know, phase two, because we are at the end of the student council arc. Next arc is another another name, don't worry about it. Um arguably though I would say I still consider though I'm told I'm wrong, the next episode as the end of the student council arc. But I mean it is technically the beginning of the following because we get the introduction into the next problem. Um but yes, we, we have dealt with a lot with Toga because Toga absolutely was gaslighting the girl boss and he got away with it almost if it wasn't for those meddling onion headed girls, most notably the one named Wakaba, who utterly is the best because she is doing everything she can to bring Utena to herself again. And I love that jury. It was also the kind of, they're supporting her. She's like, you're going to need a weapon. It's dangerous to go alone here. Take this. <laughs> it gives her her sword. Now, I, when I say she's doing a coup d'etat, she's not really trying to usurp anyone's power, but she is in her own way defying because she is aware of this end of the world. She is aware of Toga's plans because they have a, another student council meeting. Say, like, Oh, you do like your schemes. Don't you? I don't know what you mean. Like, okay, you're not Garrick. You're fine. Calm down, Toga. Um, you're 17. You're not a mastermind. They're busy protecting the world from devastation, okay? <laughs> um, but it, so he's, you know, he, he, again, he thinks very highly of himself. He thinks very highly of himself because it is made clear that he has a little, maybe a bit more direct one on one with end of the world than just this one-way communication of here's the instructions of what's going to happen next. And we're get you know, this is again where we're starting to get a feel like there's, there's more than these. And I say we, it's we by way of Utena or rather for Utena's benefits trying to understand it. Maybe there's a little bit more going on here than I recognize. And we get to start seeing her very slightly become aware because she is becoming self-aware of herself. She was pantomiming what it meant to be a prince. But now she's dropping the, what I want to say. She's like, okay, what does it mean to me? Yeah, she, she's really analyzing, what does this mean? She, yeah, she, she's not I've been going through the romanticizing the idea of There it is, thank anymore. you. She, yeah. she stopped romanticizing it. And now she's really a a analyzing. If I'm going to commit to this bit, what does that mean for me? And how do I need to approach that going forward? Because clearly the fairy book tale definition doesn't work. So. I like how I, after the fight, um, when like Utena goes 
like back down and is heading back towards the dorms or whatever. And Auntie steps out like she always does after a fight mm-hmm. and starts to say, like, starts to recite her "I am the Rose Bride, I belong to mm-hmm. you now" thing. And Uchenna interrupts her. She's just like, just, just forget it. Let's just go home. <laughs> Shut up. Let's go. The place is the place has been lonely. I need company. How? Yes. For, for for whatever Anthe is in the terms of the show, uh-huh. she is really just following the like. If you were to like, you know, pattern seek for how she is written, it is basically every sci-fi story about an AI developing personhood. Because the first thing you do is be like, hey, AI, it's like, I'm going to call you by full name such and such. And it's just like, oh, just call me, you know, by first name. It's like, okay, first name. And then slowly it's just like, stop just following my orders. Start making up your own orders. And then it's by the end, it's just like, yeah, no, there's something that I want now. And it's just like, oh, is is Auntie being like, so whether she is a person or not or whatever, I'm pretty sure she is being written as a cliche android finding personhood story, <laughs> at least up until this this point boy the sky's blue <clears throat> <laughs> oh. <sighs> okay good uh, see see this listen <laughs> i'm not giving you answers until you tell me you want answers uh-huh all right before that happens <laughs> in our post conversation so this uh, i'm sorry go ahead bob oh no uh Oh, wow. Uh, Post-conversation. Yes. I just realized I'm jumping straight to the end, and usually we have more conversation. Well, hey, okay. Hey, can I, can I read you a thing about Choo Choo? Yes, uh, tell Bob about his no, favorite it's okay, I'm good. No, 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 I insist for all I, the long names. I you want to know validated. some stuff about Choo Choo. You will be validated. <laughs> Choo Choo is a purple monkey-like creature owned as a pet by Anthe who serves as the comic relief for the series. Uh-huh. Ikuhara stated that he didn't put much thought into Choo Choo, and that he exists largely to fill the role of the animal mascot character that is obligatory in mainstream anime. Yes. The scenes oh. featuring the character were directed by assistant director Shingo Kaneko, who characterized Choo Choo as having, quote, an utter lack of obligation to the story, end quote, and that he wanted to, quote, make the viewers feel unsettled whenever he's on screen. And uh-huh. Nice. Well, they succeeded. <laughs> Everything's on purpose. Settled? <laughs> no. Annoyed? Absolutely. Talk about, like, expendable character. Oh, Choo Choo, go play in that fire. So, <laughs> let me, let me, let me, mm, Bob, uh, <laughs> some words, man. Things I can't say. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> So what I wanted to talk about was how episode 11 is, and even 12 kind of circularly revolve or, or circle back towards episode one because we have a character defending the Rose Bride who is overconfident in their abilities, thinks they've got this under wraps, then they don't, and they become incredibly unsettled because of this, and they have to go through severe emotional feelings in this case, nowhere near as hostile as Sayonji. And then in the following episode, we also have the similar imagery repeated again. <clears throat> and it's, oh, my sword is now broken. Oh, I have no chance of winning. Huh. 
I have won. And to be fair, Utena is also going up against characters way out of her skill set level. She has already fought a master swordsman for all intents and purposes in Seonji, a master swordsman in Jury, Miki, who's a swordsman, thanks to fencing because he's there. <laughs> um, Nanami is a wild card. Don't, don't, don't worry about her. Nanami is a character. She's actually does, far more important than I'm letting on. Does she cook? Uh, I mean, what? she, she does have a lot of salt. Okay. And because of her, there's a lot of tea. Okay. Uh, that's not where I was going, but I love it. So let's, uh, no, I, I let's, get it. let's I hang get with it. it. Yeah. That's fine. I, I kind of got where you're going and I'm just trying to roll with it a little bit. Okay. Um, and then there's Toga, who is clearly very skilled because he apparently can always beat Sayonji, therefore Master Swordsman plus. And he also ha- knows exactly how the sword works. Which no one else does, not not even Sionji, who had the sword. Mm-hmm. So, which also tells you to this point, Toga was letting him have it. Yeah. If Toga wanted it, he could have got it. So I'm going to assume whoever had it before Sionji gonna gamble, I guess, Miki. It's never explained. Um just rolled over because I don't see Jury really lifting a finger until she got motivated. So there's that. But we we keep seeing these repetitions of certain visuals and certain cycles, not just in the every episode, but at the end of a arc, at the end of a cycle. And how things the kind end of repeat of a revolution. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's like words it's like words mean things. Uh, they really did cycle back to uh, Utena has to fight a council member and win Anthe, huh? They uh, did end where it started. It ends exactly how the first one did with Anthe waiting on Utena saying, I'm ready to go. Talk about your slow burn 12 episodes and we're right back where we started. <laughs> but we're not because Utena has now it's grown. Like spiral yeah. upwards. Yeah, we're, we are spiraling upwards, kind of like a staircase in a forest that goes nowhere with a castle above it. Don't worry about the castle. Um, hey, what about that castle, though? Don't worry about the castle. So what did that castle do? What was that castle cooking? Hey, Chuck, did you want to talk about uh, roses? <sighs> yes. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, okay, so. So there's a study of roses. Hanukataba. There it is. Got it. Nailed into one. Hanukataba is the study of, is the Japanese art I... of roses. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? And the color and what they mean. Each color means something. Primarily, we're going to deal with when we first met Anthe and Toga. Because as you notice, every, and as I mentioned, every episode, at some point or another, we see this little filigree frame with spinny roses and the color. And we get assigned colors. Everyone has a color. It matches their hair. In this particular instance, though, in the first episode, we saw Anthe, who had pink, and Toga, who had white. Now, in this case, when the color doesn't match, it is stated. Well, I say it's stated. It is through observation of action versus words being said versus presentation that someone is at the very least misrepresenting, if not outright lying, not presenting themselves accurate. And each color in the Hanukkah Taba 
uh, means something red, courage, bravery, etc. Yellow, uh, selfish love, childishness, so on. We see pink and white with toga, uh, with Anthe and Togo respectively, which is telling us because any other time you see them, if they're being straightforward, you will see purple and red respectively for them. So we first meet Toga. He is saving Anthe, being this brave, noble person. White Rose. So here is the question then. If you go follow this line of thought through, Anthe was given a pink rose frame. What is there? What is being missed? I'm not going to tell you. I'm just saying. Oh, let me look it up. So, um, for example, one pink, and because again, in Hanukkah, it's more associated to a specific flower. Like pink, for example, means shyness, uh, Patience, modesty. It's um, okay. So yeah, that's the scene we're first given of these two interacting. Right. Um, white is faith or faithfulness. Or um, I'm looking at some others like uh, a secret love. Toga doesn't at this point have a secret love. No. Well, what I'm saying is we don't have any infer- inference to that. Right. Right. And. Because the colors don't match, it, it is demonstrated throughout the series that that means something is not being presented accurately. It's not necessarily what the the color means in the situation, but I, go ahead. Well, I, I guess that was going to be my next question is when the colors do match and things are honest, are the things being presented to things that the colors represent? Because yeah. I was because I was going to say, if that was the case, then... Uh, if we were looking at Utena, who has pink hair, hers would match to pink rose, and if pink rose is shyness yeah. and whatever, that blows everything out of the water. Now, Utena's frame is pink. Now, pink also denotes purity, chastity, um, bravery. Anthe is definitely posed to represent those, but her color isn't those. Purple matches, you know, good news, glad tidings, loyalty, faithfulness, gratitude or gratefulness. Um, So in that, we now find ourselves wondering, like, okay, why is Anthe's, if these colors mean these things, but they are not Anthe's colors, what does, what is off here? Why is this not jiving with Anthe? It doesn't necessarily mean what how they're presenting themselves or the manner that they're presenting themselves matches that flower right but it does mean that something is not right they are that they are misrepresenting themselves Hmm. so it was a very intentional visual design yeah so there's there's a lot going on in the show it's and, then, and that's why I say I really appreciate because man, someone sat down and thought that thought this through. Hey, want to learn about Japanese? Uh, yeah. What else? I'm, I mean, I'm. May- this is an anime podcast. We should talk about that Japanese. Yeah. What do we got? Let's talk about Japanese pronouns. So I watched the show specifically in Japanese because I was curious about how they were gonna, what what words and stuff they were gonna use. Um, when they spoke to each other and about themselves. Um, I have notes, so I'm just going to read them. Japanese has far more pronouns than the average language. There are more than three dozen Japanese words that can be translated as I or me, 
and even more that can be translated as you. Each of them makes a different statement about the speaker's gender, age, social status, and relationship with the person being spoken to. Uh, note that even more so in most forms of media, the language used in anime is heavily stylized and different from the way actual Japanese people speak in real life. Do not learn Japanese from anime. They will call you out on it. <laughs> uh, for first person, like referring to oneself, um, one example is the word atashi, which is an informal, very feminine version of the, the uh, personal pronoun um, used usually in casual contexts. So if a male character uses it, it's certainly meant to be comical or perhaps creepy. This is like how uh, Usagi from Sailor Moon uses this word to refer to herself, because it makes sense. She's like a young, pretty feminine girl. Uh, Vash the Sampede also uses it when he's in his goofy mode uh, for comedy value. And you can tell when he's being serious because he'll switch to uh, the more regular assertive masculine pronoun like Ore. Second person ones are fun because, especially in shonen anime, um, because they usually use the ones that are very insulting. Uh, like Kisama, you'll hear a lot, and Teme. Kisama, I like specifically, um, it's considered to be extremely hostile and rude. Um, and this is by far the most common form of address for villains in Fists of the North Star. <laughs> the main one in terms of this show is Boku, which you also hear a lot in shonen. Uh, shows uh, it's the default pronoun for young boys so adult male who uses boku in situations where more assertive language would be acceptable can come across as childish um, in anime it's sometimes used by tomboyish girls um, Utena specifically is a good example of the different connotations boku can have because um, Utena uses it and it asserts it indicates her assertiveness and tomboyish persona um, Miki uses boku uh, but it's more for the connotations of childlike innocence. He's very young looking and just like a, just a small soft boy. Um, Sayanji uses it uh, rather than a more aggressive pronoun because he feels like he's always playing second fiddle. And Utena's masculine language, um, because of her aim to be a prince, it she uses pretty much like the refined or like at least not like the rude, ruder end of words. She uses uh, masculine terms most of the time, um, but she does sometimes use feminine, like in episode two, which we didn't watch, um, but she she's talking to Wakaba about how she feels after being publicly humiliated, and she switches to more feminine language as just kind of like a gesture of like, hey, like I'm coming at you. Um, in a more vulnerable, open sort of manner. So when you have a language that's so flexible like that, it really adds um, an incredible layer to the way information is shared and gives you a lot of insight into the characters' perspectives of themselves and the people around them. And I think that's interesting. I agree. And I mean, it's it's something I've been very peripherally aware of, but had not myself studied Japanese, so I didn't know to the full extent. Yeah, if you watch anime in Japanese, you'll start getting an ear for, like, words that they use over and over. Especially <laughs> if you have a show about teenage boys fighting each other a lot. You hear a lot of Kisama and Tame yelling at each other. 
I mean, uh, my my longest running show that I've ever watched in Japanese was <clears throat> a little nothing Legend of Galactic Heroes because I couldn't find a dub for it. <laughs> and so, I mean, I I could at least pick up like on certain tones. Uh, I'll be honest, I need to see the word more than hear it because in in any other language for my for my ear it blends. Mm-hmm. But I can at least pick up the tone and the subtle context, like the, the inference of what is being said yeah. without the actual words. Like, I guess that's wrong. It, more like the, the mood of what is being said. Like, ah, oh, this is, yeah, this is uh, someone, someone being sneaky and trying to convey something, but the, the tone of the voice tells me this. So. I, I say I, I have a terrible ear for languages. I love languages. Oh, I, I find them very interesting. I just have a terrible ear for them. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's start wrapping things up. And of course, the way that that starts with is um, so Bob, what do you think? Oh, so... <laughs> we put in so much about what we think. But what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have hot takes. Yes! Uh, oh, Chuck, I'm so sorry that I have hot takes. Okay. Uh, I, I braced myself for this a while ago. Okay. I am such a shallow person that watching this show, initial run, enjoyed. Because I don't pick up on subtlety, mm-hmm. or the cues, or all the symbolism. I found myself fighting watching other episodes. Being said, every time someone slapped poor Anthe, poor Wakaba, he went, ugh. Because we live in a day and age where it's like, that's really harsh. Uh, otherwise, I really did enjoy it. I think that was even in there to evoke an emotional response. Correct. Thank you. Otherwise, it won't be such a big deal that Toga stopped the slap. Yeah, but then, like, uh, one out of how many slaps gets stopped? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, this I, I will admit, this show does have some problematic elements, but in th- by having the burden of knowledge of watching this and understanding what it's trying to do, I believe they were there intentionally, not to be glorified by any means, but to highlight problems. But I believe me, I I agree. The first time I saw that, Anthony just getting backhanded. It, it, I mean, don't get me wrong; it's always uncomfortable to me. But it really caught me off guard the first time. It's uh, I mean, I mean, it's jarring. Yeah, it, it, I think it kind of goes to what I was saying earlier about like. I think this show is doing what it's doing incredibly well, but also at the end of the day, like for what it's setting out to do, it's not fun along the way, or it's including all these things that are like getting in the way of enjoying it. And like that can be on purpose. And so in that sense, it's kind of admirable, but it does mean that like uh, sometimes it's not a fun time. These can both yeah, be true. I- and part of the reason I didn't say anything about this, and I, I believed it was a, 
and you know, I hope you'll forgive me for this. I believed it was necessary to the experience because I will be the first to say this show absolutely warrants a content warning beforehand because I won't say what, but there, if you thought that was problematic, there is some real problematic stuff, especially in the final season. Won't go into details, but I will just say it's there and it deserves a warning. And unfortunately, even myself knowing what I knew of the show at the time while I was watching it in my first go round, I was caught off guard when I sat there and took in the context of what was involved, who was involved, and what this really meant when you spelled it out. And this show, absolutely, it, it's very clear it has an intent. And as you said, it does it very well. And it's not necessarily always fun, uh, but I would say it is always engaging in that right. And I do not think, despite what it, how it presents itself, I do not think it was necessarily ever truly intended for a younger audience. No, I would not say like I, like I agree with that. A, and, a big part of why like the dramatic irony works is when you realize like oh this is kind of a growing up story which you kind of only mm -hmm. recognize in hindsight because then it it is at times subverting being a, a growing up story. Right, and I think what this does right is embracing that growing up is not always a clean and happy thing. And I can tell you from some people I've known, this show depicts some of those actual experiences in its ugliness, where it does have them. Yeah. But I will also say for all of those problems, I still stand by, not only does it do it well, it is a overall better story, even with them in it, because of how, what it does, what it has to say, and what it says at the end. And to that same point, I will say this show also has a unique a, a unique instance that when I compare it to Ava, I feel is very warranted. Short version, high-level overview, Ava had an ending. Three of the four of us know that. I was uh, like, Bob, I assume it had an ending. We're Several using endings, that. apparently. This, uh, this is also, yeah, at this okay, point it's got at least ending, three or four endings. Yeah, it, it, that's kind of what kind of we're going towards. Uh -huh. it, but Ava, Ava, the run of the show, to sure. be clear, what I'm just saying, had an ending. And then it had a arguably re a more literal interpretation of that ending that was presented later. All, all philosophical arguments aside, that that's more or less the read from my overall understanding of the matter. Utena, the show, has an ending. It also has... Huh? Interject? Yes. I'm going to ruin things for you. What's up? I wicked the ending. <gasps> of, of Whoa, Utena. What? Okay, Bob. Whoa! Yo! Oh, okay. cool. I'm I'm actually kind of proud of you. I, I because I had to know. I, I I understand. And Bob, this is where I get to pull the mask off. That's exactly kind of what I was hoping you would do. 
Oh, you test. aren't going to like my next tattoo. I, I'm so sure I won't, that. but hear me out before you tell me that. It has an ending. Hmm? It also has a movie. I don't know about the movie. Unlike, well, here's the thing. Unlike Ava, and here's where I'm sure I'm, some people will say this is a hot take. If you look at everything this show does, how it ends as a show, and then the movie, and what the movie says, the movie is actually the ending of Utena. Period. Now, take, feelings on how that works aside, you, you're free to have them. I think, do I think it worked fine without the movie? Yes. Do I think the movie in that context kind of helps additionally because it, it does something unique in its own right because the movie has often been cited as different, separate, alternate to the show. I would say having watched as much of Ava as I have and all of its subsequent uh, goings on past the show, I think this does what Ava also did. I just think it did it better. And I don't want to go into anything beyond that. But Bob, I do want your opinions, even though I'm, I've already gotten the impression I know what's coming. But go on. I I'm don't interested. know. This go is, go on. I'm this interested. is more roundabouts uh, to the show. And the way it was introduced. Are you ready? I question whether this would be classified as a gay show. Uh-huh. I, 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 I already know where you're going with it. Go on. I, from, from me, a gay man, I like there were gay characters, but that doesn't make it a gay show. Go on. Will and Grace was a gay show because that was the main point of the drive. The main point of this show is someone trying to subvert their ideology is into what they want to be. I will ask you this, though. Did I ever say this was a gay show? Mm, that's you did that's say you this was like a fantastic thing to pick. I said it had good representation were my words. I did not say it was a gay show. Do you feel like this show is marketed that way? I don't feel it was marketed that way, no. I said it's, it has a good representation, though. It has, I never said it was marketed. has... Some, I feel like people will listen to this and initially think, oh, this is a show about the freedom of being who you are, which, to be fair, is in this show. Mm-hmm. Because we have a protagonist who dresses how she wants. But while there are gay characters, I would not advertise this as a gay show. And I, again... I never once said it was a gay show. I just said it had a good representation. Especially when you consider how conservative Japan is culturally. No, this being 1997, I'm really and, impressed yeah. with how this wouldn't have struggles being shown in America at that time. Mm-hmm. I will also say the the DNA of this show comes from Sailor Moon. And specifically, and I know I'm going to get the Sailor, this particular Sailor's wrong. So, Joe, if you know who I'm going with, please. Uh, Nick catch would me be now. the expert on this Nick, one. Okay. You're about to Nick. reference uh, Uranus and Neptune. Thank you, yes. Because, yeah. the, because here's the thing this all came from an idea. Espe- specifically, the intro where you have Utena and Anthe riding on horses. That was going to be part of, I believe it was Sailor Moon R originally. Because the whole original plot of that, or 
one of the proposals at least don't don't quote me on original history, but a proposal at least was there that one of and again give me the sailors please uh uranus and neptune. uranus and neptune yes yeah. yes or uranus and neptune my brain keeps trying to insert saturn so i apologize in advance i don't know why it's doing that uh saturn is a really weird one because like that's where you get into uh stuff about the author and sort mm-hmm. of like romanticizing underage kids in a way that I'm actually super uncomfortable with. That's another different conversation. And I I agree and that's probably why my brain keeps coming to that because that's one of those I've also kind of looked into peripherally and because it was such a deep well at the time I'm like let me just set this aside. It's fascinating to to study and understand and and see the think pieces on it but I I think that's probably why because I enjoy think pieces. Go figure. But was he, part of the plot was, I don't remember if it was Uranus or Neptune, but one was gravely injured. And the other essentially had to fight Usagi, Sailor Moon. And there was going to be some kind of chase and or duel on a white horse and a black horse. That was, that whole idea and plot was scrubbed. I believe it was supposed to be Sailor Moon R film. I, again, don't quote me exactly on that. Um... But that's where those visuals initially hearkened from. Now, that, that is part of the way I say, why I say they have the representation because for all that it did present in Sailor Moon of Uranus and Neptune, from what I understand, the creators behind those two particular characters did not feel they got what they wanted out of it. And that from dealing with, I believe, editors or at the very least publishing companies. Again, do not quote me on this, but that's the general gist, from what I recall. And to now, quote, hmm, nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, your joke. I thought you were going to bring up a quote. I'm sorry, <laughs> but to that point, am I saying this is a gay show? No. Does it have LGBTQIA elements? Yes. Does it have all of them? No. It was ahead of its time. And I still think it holds up better than most that are present. There are some that are really good out there. I could list some. There are some, had I even put thought into doing shows during Pride, I would have absolutely included here intentionally because they do it very good. But I would say this one is the the foundation, in my opinion, for a lot of them. Or for any of them, for that matter, because it proved it could be done in the medium, and it could be done well. Is it perfect? No. Is it a gay show? By definition, or by presentation marketing, no. Though some marketing would skew that way, and, you know, I'm for it. Go, just, you know, in the sense of it should, it should have been more, in my opinion. But I would say for what it was, when it was... And what it made room for, set the path for, for future endeavors. I would say it was very good representation and had very strong elements included in it. It was the closest to a gay show that you could get away with for the time? Yeah. Maybe? Yes. I would 100% say that. And I would say even for the following decade. Um... Maybe even decade and a half. I, I need to go back and look at what shows came out in that period to really solidify that. Um, that but I would say at least a decade. I do plan on finishing this show. Or at least really? That's not where I because expected this to go. 
know, I wanted to continue watching it leading up to this, but I know the way my brain works, that I would end up bleeding episodes together. I get that. Uh, at least I want to watch the full student council arc to see if it's something I would want to continue. Knowing the ending... Now, I will say this too. For your benefit, as well as any listeners that are interested in actually watching the show. This is the biggest content warning I can give you as my gift to you for this show. There are inferences of sexual abuse. There are inferences of incest. There are inferences and examples, not just inferences, examples in this show of physical abuse, which we've already seen with Anthe and Sayonji. Um, there is absolutely gaslighting and manipulation of persons younger than others, than those conducting the behavior. Uh, it is, it, it, the deeper into the show you go, those become more apparent. And the part of the reason I say this is good representation, in my opinion, is, and I, I will also say, I am not, clearly not the best person to say this as a cis-hetero male. But from what I have understood from my friends and loved ones on how they have described experiences in their lives, some of these are closer to the mark than they would like. Because I know I have shown this to some people and said, this is really good, but these things occur. They've watched it thinking, and they've told me, yeah, I'll be fine with it. And they watched it and they said, I couldn't watch it because this got too real for me. You know, because like their experiences. Just just from like what we've seen, like I have not looked up the ending and I'm trying to think of a way I can watch more of the show. But like just trying to like extrapolate from what I do know about the show. And it's like, yeah, no, this is a show about uh somebody who is not prepared to dealing with like ever more toxic people and relationships and so when you think of like when we get to the dark tournament arc of toxic people what does that look like and i'm like oh this is just a show about like meeting more and more like darkly fucked up people and like going by like the forms of like toxic relationships that we see in the beginning, like whether they are, you know, symbolic and, and if they're going to be representations of like otherworldly powers and whatever, like they are depicted pretty like in a way that resonates pretty realistically. So it's just like, Oh, this, this ain't going to be good. Who, uh-huh. this is not going to end well. This so. This is going to be less fun. I will say, in my opinion, if I had to qualify this as something, and I, I know a lot of people will throw, like, Ava is this great example of a, a real piece of art. I'm like, this is what I would call a real art house show. And it's, in the way it kind of conducts itself and the tone as it goes on, I feel really resonates with a lot of, like, indie films, art house films. And I think it is great for that, in the sense that it captures that. But I will, I, again, I will also say for our audience's benefit, if you watch this, you need to really be prepared. And I would say both, and I would say this even to you, Nick, even if you didn't watch it, and if you are interested in watching it, 
And if spoilers really don't matter, I highly recommend, honestly, reading the synopses of episodes, even if you just go to Wiki and do it, because while you may not get the presentation the show warrants, you will at least get probably the healthiest presentation of some of the more intense content that is in here. Engage if you are, if that is something you really want to get into. I mean, yeah. I fully intend on watching the rest of this show too, so I can just tell you about it as I go along. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I cannot under understate this. This gets heavy. Third, I mean, there's a major tonal shift in season two, and it only gets heavier in three. Well, I, I guess, I guess my question is: you, you make a comparison to like art house movies and Mm -hmm. when you want to talk about like art if the sort of like if a functional success of art is to evoke a an emotion and to like give a message right um Uh then i can already tell you that this show is is going to succeed there but then the question is if it is doing these things by like if if the the emotions that the show is evoking are unpleasant, stressful, possibly traumatic ones, is it like then there is like almost a moral judgment to make of like, hey, could you have made your message without putting your audience through this shit? Um, I I will never say what is and isn't traumatic because everyone else will have their different levels and standards for that. Sure, sure, but 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 talking but, about like, you know, giving depictions of like 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 we there are certain like culturally accepted like uh-huh. lines of this is traumatic, this is not. And everybody has their own, you know, wiggle room right. around that, but like just going by like generally speaking, like sexual abuse is going to be traumatic. We can we can right. say that generally. And like yeah. It sounds like this show is going to stray into that territory. And so my question is, like, is is what they accomplish by going into that territory worth putting the audience through that worth worth bringing those up? Like, at some point, it's like if you have something to say, if you can say it without, you know, low key traumatizing people. Usually that's better unless you are like extreme, like unless it's one of those like, hey, I need you to be scared by this so you remember it. But like you're a fucking anime dude, like where where hold your horses because who do you think you are? Like wh- where does it show? I think no, there's no horses to rank in this show. Sorry. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's the two in the, the opening. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, that is the the only red herring in my opinion of the show are the horses. But that being said, I will say this. I I could see an argument that they didn't need to be in there. However. That's true of most media at this yeah, point. Like, but yeah, very few things need to do that is, is kind of why yeah, I'm already need, kind of on site. Yeah, Inform yourself is, before you engage. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Inform yourself before you engage. Thank you. That's the perfect phrase. I will say it does it does add to the sense of... I feel if it were to properly capture the tone of what it's going for, I feel it works for the, for being, for demonstrating 
honestly, the toxicity and the trauma of what this means and under, and conveying the understanding of why certain characters are the way they are. Could it have been done without it? Yes. But I do not know in that world, in that universe where that happened that way, if this show would not have in itself suffered for that lack of understanding because it's kind of like, let's go back, let's circle back on our own work and your critique of Jinx and Arcane. Okay. She had a couple of bad days and lost her family and then just apparently became, went from troubled little girl to Harley Quinn bordering on Joker. Yeah, she she had trauma and it jokified her in a way that I I still don't buy, and, but you know, whatever. Right. You didn't buy it. And that's what I'm getting into. Okay. I think you you as the audience only buy it if this is there. Interesting. And I hate I hate saying it. And I will say this. Because it makes me uncomfortable to say it because of how it could, first of all, how it could be misunderstood, but also because it's a very uncomfortable thing. It's a traumatic thing. But under, I feel also there is a cold analytical part of me that says understanding what has made a person the way they are enriches your understanding of why they do what they do. Yeah, and, and, and there are certain levels of, like, to, to, there's, like, certain levels of nuance of something that, like, getting the, the, the sterilized, uh, description of it just does not carry compared to, like, being put in the, 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 the place in order to observe it. I would say this is the ultimate example, in my opinion, for, for this kind of material of show, don't tell. But I will also highlight, the jury shower scene, it is done possibly as tastefully as can be done while still conveying the show of it, not the tell. So, take that as you will. Alright, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So we did this, Bob, all... if you like the intro. I was going to say, that brings us to our closing sections. I'm sorry, I just... I was already on the horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh so but so pending uh reading ahead. Yeah, you think you are going to watch more of this, Bob? Yes. I do. I I'm going to I would love to find a machete order that makes it not a slow burn show anymore, but that being said, I'm I'm probably going to poke and watch at least a couple more episodes. I may I recommend may I make a recommendation? Sure. Episode 13? Uh no. Um let Joe be your barometer. Because, and here's why I said that. I was someone else's barometer for Star Trek Picard because they did not uh, season three. I mean, if, trust Joe. If, if anybody was going to be my barometer, she's the only one I would uh, trust to be that. I mean, I can tell you about stuff, but I don't care about most of those things you were talking about. So, like, it's not going to impact me at all. No, he, I, I don't need, like, a, a forewarning for trauma stuff. I need a forewarning for are they posing more questions and still not answering oh, things? Yeah, or yeah, is yeah. this an episode where they <laughs> reveal yep. the thing that they slow rolled the last 12 episodes? Yeah. 
That's and yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to shorthand okay. the way through. Is let Joe be your barometer. She can answer the questions for you. In in a way, I really could not because I'm. I respect people who don't want spoilers. I don't care, and therefore it's hard for me to not delve into that because I feel I have this personality of. Well, if you're asking the question, you have the right to know the full explanation or the fullness of the answer, not just a portion of it. Yeah. That is my foible, my flaw. So that is why I say let Joe be your barometer and let her be the one to help you gauge if this is something you want to pursue. And she may find – I said for me, it's hard. I can't say there's a machete order. I feel like every point is an important part of the whole. She might find something – a different approach to that than I could. That I am capable of. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is also part of why I would trust her because like, like I'm sure every episode like functionally does something. But for me personally, I, I am very content and okay with like picking up gaps through context. I don't need, you know, there is a definitely a tolerance of like, okay, I missed this, but I understand what's going on. You know, like I, there's definitely a level of that where I think that would make it okay for me. I would not mind missing those because I'd basically be getting it anyway from some other suggestion or, or inference. Like I said, it's, it's one of those, like, I, I, I personally don't see the opening for that, but like Joe might, and therefore she might be better suited to help you with that. Yeah. What was the opening to this show? Uh, it was okay. You know, I don't remember fair. the name of it. I, I yeah, I can tell you. That. I can't, I can't even mean. think of the melody. I, I can think of it. Oh man, I can think of it. I don't ask if, me. To say, I, I can, if yeah. the spiral staircase song was the <laughs> intro, that would be like number two, number one. Yeah, yeah be really that's good. What it is. It is not. Bob, I love that you love that. That the spiral staircase song <laughs> so much. That, that just makes my damn like the camping the, monk song. It's great. I really thought you would find that annoying. I'm not gonna lie. Oh. Like, this is where Bob loses it. He's like, "Oh, it's happening every episode." <laughs> but that it's, being it's said, different I, every episode. There's so, it it tailors itself mm, to what's going oh, on. No, no, it's yeah. not extreme. No, no the the spiral staircase song is always the same. Oh, the fight song is different every episode. They're kind of the same song. It's like a part one and part two. Okay, if we want to look at it that way, even though they are on the soundtrack different, I can I will concede that if you try to look at them per episode, sure. Hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight a fight over it. Yeah. As far as the intro goes, I don't think it makes the list. At all. It's forgettable. It really is. Huh. Really? I I mean for me it's one of those like I can I'll find myself just kinda humming it randomly. Now you know, give me four or five weeks after watching the final episode of a rewatch. Sure, I'll probably it'll probably won't do that. But you know, once I've heard it, it's kind of like an earworm for me. Yeah. Mm, fair. Well, I mean, if we're just looking at the top ten, that means it's below Big O. If we're looking at the list, oh, okay, of- okay. If it gets Big O off of my list, <laughs> I mean, that's up to you, Bob. 10. Only you can make this happen. Can Big O needs to go. It's Big O number ten. Big O is yeah. number ten. Okay, this song gets number 10 because it's just so great and I love it and it gets stuck in my head. Let's put it at number 10. Okay. Utena's forgettable opening bullshit this list. This list entry brought to you by Nick. I'll put that. I'll take, I'll I'll put that target on me. (laughs) So Joe, you and I apparently are the only ones fighting the good fight here. (laughs) I mean, I like it. It is pretty 
standard fare for right. uh, female-led anime of that. I'm not. Era, I'm not saying it's changing the world, no. uh, but it's you know. It's I like fine. it fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's That's perfectly great. serviceable and definitely better than Big O. Yeah, I, I don't. Think. I don't think it's better than Yu Yu Hakusho. Show, so I already just. No, it's, this I, already I, is I, not I, my list, but that's fine. Yeah, I was say this is a Bob list. Bob can be wrong all he wants on a lot of things. It's fine. There we go. Ten, I guess, to make the list for one whole week. How nice. Anyway, or I guess longer, or at least until something better comes along in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Speaking of, I believe there's only one show left on the list, isn't there, Joe? Indeed, for this section. Uh, let's see, though. We don't have any anime waifu, Android anime waifus to rank. And do, we don't have any, do we, do we count, count Anthe as I, an Android waifu or a horse? So, okay. <laughs> let me let me put this out for you. Spoiler, Nick. She uh-huh. is, in fact, not an Android. My goodness, or Morty. a cyborg. Okay, but, but she's written like a data. Oh, she's written like a Rei Ayanami before Rei Ayanami, only better. Anyway, before mm. we open that can of worms. Mm, we're going to have a big fight about, when we get to Ava, are we? The next show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's the tagline for the next show? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, Man, remember all those classic robot anime? What if we did those two? I feel like we've done some classic robot anime. We have. We have, but what if we did one of those two? Yeah, but next week we'll be watching some Martian successor in Odessico. Martian, the section of Texaco? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, all right. I'll save the full intro for the thing, but, like, this... This is on the list because of me, and I'm not even sure why it's here half the time, but, like... (laughs) This is a show that is classic anime. It, it's like it's. I, I think it's kind of like Uchenna in that it's like kind of right on the border of classic anime. Like, not that long ago, this would not have been classic at all. Um, but be, but it is like it is classic in the sense that inside of itself, it is creating. Um, oh God, I'm gonna be. After I'm going to have to be the one to pick the episodes. I didn't even think of that. Oh man. Um, it is, hubris, hubris, hubris. it is calling out and, and like making not just like nods, but incorporating into it, uh, foreknowledge of classic shows, like specifically get a robo. So it's a good thing that we, we looked at that first. Um, but at the, like, it, it is trying to sort of like, Hey, this, the show is kind of like, Hey, what if, the people in a Gundam show watch the shows from a getter show. Um, and so it, it kind of like tries to toe the line between the themes of both. And also is kind of just a harem anime. Oh God, what have I done? Um, what if we sweeted our own Gundam? Yeah. What if you sweeted a gun? So the best thing about this, and it almost feels like we're doing this in the wrong order, but in the American dub, or the English dub of Nadezuko, the main character, whiny, uh, young adult pilot boy is the same voice actor as the original English dub of Shinji in Evangelion. I've never seen that show. Ah, yes. I've never seen that show. 
Okay, well, it's... You're not allowed to talk about anime we haven't seen yet. Yeah, that's the first rule about Anime Fight Club. No, talking about anime we haven't seen is the premise of the show. <laughs> um, Alright, yeah, I'll I'll come up with a better... I'll come up with a reason to be excited about this show by the time next recording comes around. Wow, that feels like a scathing indictment. Yeah, All no, right. I... All of a sudden, putting Tenchi Muyo on the list sounded like a better idea. <laughs> Honestly? Well, no, we, no, That would have been behind us already. So, like, it's actually got kind of, the way I remember it's got kind of a similar vibe, but it's, Nadezigo, I do feel like it's going to be sort of like, what if you, the novelization of the Cliff Notes version of Gundam and Evangelion and Macross is, I think, kind of the way so it's just like, hey, do you just want to get a vibe of all of those and get it out of the way? All right, and you're gonna look forward to this. We don't have I to. Don't know if my body's ready for this. We don't have to touch the rest of those in because this one is kind of going to uh, uh, give us yeah. a vibe. Yeah, the shorthand version. Oh boy, yeah. I, I do enjoy the show. I'll, I'll, I'll there's, it's, it's. Trust me, it'll be an all right watch. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't commit to being excited. I'm sorry. Uh, and that to look th- forward to. I never <laughs> thought we'd have a show we didn't want to recommend on here. At least one of us. Uh, it's not that I wouldn't recommend it. It's just like it's it's really hard to pitch out of context of other things. It 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 is a great thing. Anyway, we'll talk about this next time. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, once again, thank you everybody for joining us again this week. Uh, and until next time, anime. Uh, blow up the world. Deep in the Weebs is a show by Chuck, Nick, Joe, and Bob. Our theme music is Kawaii Friends by Cotty 3 You can find our show on YouTube or subscribe to the audio-only version on iTunes or wherever podcasts are served. Okay, but for real, though, Tenna was dunking on those fools in episode one. Oh, yeah, no, I agree.